Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the Oblivious Maximus podcast. My guest for this week is Callum Preston. Um, I've known Callum for a long time now. Uh, Callum is a really, really good graphic designer. He's worked for a zillion different things. Um, I know him from working for my band. Um, I also know him from playing in bands. He played in a band called Her Nightmare and a band called Miles Away and a zillion other things. Um, Calm's a very interesting person and he's got a really interesting story about his life in music and how it's brought him to the place he's at in his life now where he assists with the running of a restaurant called Smith and Daughters with uh, his fiance Mo and their business partner Shannon. Um, so I thought it'd be cool to get Callum on the podcast to talk about music, graphic design, art, restaurant stuff, and he did that at length, and it was sick, and I got drunk, and it was fun. So I'm not going to talk too much longer because it goes for ages. So enjoy this one. Um, it was super fun. I got some cool ones coming up as well. Again, like last week. Go to our social media things or go to our website. Tell me if you got any feedback on it. Thanks to everyone who's been listening from overseas too. It's been really cool to see that happening. Um, yeah. Here's Oblivious Maximus number four with Callum Preston. I'm Aaron Osborne. Brutal! start putting it in more marketing it's my intro line mm. just saying brutal. yeah um, rove. okay here's my first rove question um like yeah like the other ones let's go from your introduction to music as far as you can remember it being yeah shit okay um well introduction to music so like so, so the example I've given is that for me it was hearing Michael Jackson in by way of the fact that the first time I heard Michael Jackson was the first time I was like oh I want to be a singer now like I yeah. want to yeah, yeah, right. do that because I like that not that I like, would ever do that I but. can remember so my mum has this best friend she was like they literally went to primary school together and she was the the her bridesmaid and whatever and then she has a son that's born within a month of me. So they yeah. both were like young mums together. And obviously we sure. would just hang out at their house all the time. And my parents never had much music around. It wasn't, yeah. we had a record collection before there was a CD player, but wasn't a super musical household except for like, my mom would like have movies on while she was like doing stuff. So I remember like Grease and yeah. Dirty Dancing and shit. So like the songs from that. But I remember being at these people's house and... <laughs> just what seems like we were there every day which I'm sure we weren't but yeah <laughs> I remember, that's how you remember yeah it. I remember they had like a little sort of lowered level lounge room that went down like three stairs it's in Gladstone Park which I grew up in West Meadows so it's out in the northwest in the suburbs yes just like a little house nice house and they had a record player down in the lounge room 
and I remember they had Bon Jovi Bad Medicine seven or I don't know if it was a seven inch or a single. Yeah. And I can remember that being on and us like running and jumping as, as far as we could into this lounge room to like land on a beanbag or whatever. <laughs> and we'd be just doing that like over and over. I guess it was like some weird like primitive moshing. <laughs> so we're like staged. I, I, I must be... Your first four ends. I must be under five, I yeah. guess. But we're just doing that over and over. And every time we land, the record skips because it's in, like we're just okay. bashing on the <laughs> yeah. floor. Yeah. And so we're just doing it over and over. And then, you know, get in trouble for scratching the record or whatever. Oh but God. then, that's yeah, cool. so that's kind of, I guess, technically that's my my introduction yeah. to music. But there was, my dad got us a Christmas present one year. He's, well, not like, I should make it sound like, one year my dad <laughs> No. Uh, a Christmas present he gave you. Yeah, so he got the family a Christmas present. Uh, okay. This was like still Santa Claus is real. Yes. I mean, he is, but yeah. you know. But this Obviously. is, yeah, so I'm quite young. And my dad buys a five-disc CD player, like a rotating, yeah. you know, and he hides it under my brother's bed. And I'm like, you know, seven or eight or whatever. Yeah. And so all you do is go under beds. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't, That's yeah. the first place to look <laughs> yeah. for presents. Like he should have put it, I don't know, on top of the fridge where I couldn't <laughs> see. But anyway, he puts it under my brother's bed. My brother doesn't know about it or anything. It's a, it's a gift to the family, I guess. Yeah. And I crawl under there and find it. And I'm just like, holy shit, it's five, di-. you know, it's like yeah. compact disc, like it's, full logo, yeah, laser technology. Very futuristic. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. So then, I guess this is in December, getting close to Christmas. And he's like, you know, you reckon Santa's going to come? I'm like, yeah, yeah, definitely. And he's like, what else, What do you reckon, you know, do you reckon you, that I'm going to get in the thing? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And mm-hmm. he's like, what would you, if we could get something for the house, what would you get? And I was like, a five disc CD player. <laughs> and he just looks at me like, We've been under the bed. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> You've been looking. shit. And so that, that CD player was the first CD player in the house. And that led to post-Christmas trip to Brashes or whatever. Yeah. Sanity. I don't know what it was. Yes. And like you get to choose some CDs. Yeah. So I uh, I got a double disc because yeah. in my head, that's more disc for your dollar. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it was in the thick... So much more value yeah. out of that gift. And it's the thick case with mm. the two sides. So I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to have a CD of my very own, I want to have more than one. Yeah. So I bought the Disney Afternoon <laughs> combo record and it had yeah. like, uh, you know, Rescue Rangers and yeah. Gummy Bears, like all these all these rad songs. That's great. So yeah, we had I had that and I th- my brother bought like, I think maybe Jimmy Barnes' Soul Deep. You remember that record? Great. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Amazing record. Good covers. Yeah. Great covers. <laughs> great cover shot. Jimmy yeah, yeah. in like an old jacket backwards on a chair. Yeah. That's so good. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of... I had one of the... this. I had almost the exact same thing with the double disc thing. That was the Michael Jackson CD that I got. Was the history like greatest yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. And that was with a double the statue. disc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the first the first show I ever went to. You the, went? I went to the Michael Jackson history tour in Taiwan. Oh, okay, shit. Yeah. So, we bought tickets to Michael Jackson. Oh, really? And he cancelled. And I was oh, just devastated. Yeah, dude, it was like... That was like... That was... I was so robbed. I remember being so mad because... And they were probably like, you know, $50 a ticket or yeah, something yeah. back then. So, my parents were like, this is the biggest thing you're ever going to get. And then he cancelled and I was like, what, what does that mean? What, what, what happens now? And they're like, <laughs> we got a refund and he's going to reschedule. I'm like... All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can deal with that. And then the reschedule got cancelled, and then became a lot weirder. And then eventually yeah. died, and I never saw him. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, he I never apologized. No. No. Never. 
Never for that one cancellation. That would have been a massive thing to... Like, you think about tours cancelling. Like, you know, we both yeah. are involved with stuff with tours. If you're putting on a Michael Jackson show and you sell tickets, you have sold a lot of tickets, A. It's insane. And then B, imagine the production that would have been... Because he, he never did, like... It's not like he was getting up there going, hey, I'm going to strip it down tonight. <laughs> a little bit of acoustic. Well, the show, the one that I went to, he... And I assume it was the same production at every show. Yeah. But it was at the biggest soccer stadium in Taipei. And the start of it, you know, there was like, I don't know who was opening for Michael Jackson. Surely there was who someone. Would? Yeah. Like, really? But at the start, it, like, the stadium Maybe was just... Jimmy Barnes, so yeah. deep. <laughs> at the start, it was like, there was like a big hustle and bustle in the stadium when all the lights go off. People just start screaming, going ape shit. Yeah. And the TV screens come on and like a, a it's like the inside of a helicopter. Yeah. And then the camera in the inside of the helicopter turns around, it's Michael Jackson and everyone screams. And then two spotlights came out the back of the stadium and the helicopter was like flying no, around the stadium. It went down and landed behind the stadium. All the lights went off again and everyone's like, oh, really quiet. See what happens. And like a minute goes by and then all the lights go on the stage. All this smoke comes on the stage starts like crumbling apart. Whoa. And a little like spaceship came out to the middle of the stage <laughs> and Michael Jackson just like popped out of the spaceship. And the best thing was... I remember at the time thing was like amazing. And then like, I think the first time I told anyone that story, the first thing that went through my head was like, that is such a bad, like series of events in terms of the production. Like we already know he's in the helicopter. Now he's coming out of the stage in a spaceship. Yeah. How is that? No, it's like, like you know what? I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like almost bitter about the fact that I would have gone to that as a kid, seen mm. that be like, holy shit. He's in the helicopter. He's coming about He's been in that venue for 10 hours. Yeah, like he's, he's been there since yeah. midday. And that, that helicopter pilot is like, just like, oh shit, okay, it's 7.06. All right, do I'm a gonna lap be, of the yeah, stadium. Yeah, I'm going to be landing there. Okay, cool. And so now I'd see that and be like, oh yeah, that's an expensive little, little how you going. <laughs> but intro. I just wish I could still be like, oh my God, it's him. Yeah, dude, it was like... It'd be weird now if he turned up in a helicopter. Well, like anyway. yeah. um, and then a lot of questions would be raised. Yeah. That's see, that's so good. That's that's a good first concert. Yeah, and like I mean, there did was, you live over there? What was, yeah. So yeah, I, right. when I grew up in, I moved to Taiwan when I was two, and I lived there until I was five. Then I lived in Fiji for a couple of years, and then I moved back when I was seven. So I went, Shit. I went to that show. I think when I was eight was when I went to that. That's crazy. That was I remember that history. Like that was. It was. I think at the time it was the highest selling. And the longest world tour. Because yeah. it went for like three years. Yeah. Because I think it was like... He'd do like one show or three shows a month or something. Yeah. Like he'd go to a country for a month and play three shows. And had to hire helicopters. Well, <laughs> yeah. And stadiums. Yeah. Man, that would have been so good. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. Um, Alright, well... So from listening to Bon Jovi and then the Disney soundtracks... When yeah. did music become like alternative music for you so well i'm i'm born in 84 so i was you know 10 in 94 when kurt cobain died yep and like i remember just kind of my brother is five years older than me so he would have been you know 14 15 yeah um and did he like that sort of stuff yeah but just like off the back of the triple j kind of thing (coughs) um and i guess he maybe went to big day out when he was like 16, 17 or something. So I was a fair bit younger then, wasn't allowed to go yet. 
Yeah. So I was kind of like, there's this thing. So I kind of got into... Do you remember those unauthorized CDs? Do you remember yes. those? Yeah. So, and they all had the same like black cover with red unauthorized <laughs> and then just generic photo. Yeah. And the quality was so varied. Like you would get one and it would mm. be okay. And then other ones sounded like a fart. Just yeah. so bad. <laughs> and it'd be like... Soundgarden live in Rio de Janeiro yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. A weird like soundboard yeah. recording. But or getting back to CDs, like they were cheap. They were super cheap. Mm. I think they were, you know, maybe 10 bucks, which that's when CDs were twenty nine ninety five. Yeah, for sure. And so in my weird logic, I just wanted like more CDs. I remember I had my CD collection as a kid. Yeah. And one time a CD came in a, like a box of muesli bars and it was like a, <laughs> it was like Uncle Toby's compilation CD and there was four songs on it and it was like a Kate Sobrano song yeah. and then it's so funny that at one point that was a marketing yeah yeah campaign. and it was in like a sleeve so I didn't have a case for it and this yeah. is when you didn't have spare CD case like <laughs> yeah. you, and if the little bit broke off the edge of the case uh-huh. that held the door on that was it like, yeah. so I remember having my collection and then having this extra one and being like one day I'm gonna get a case for that <laughs> it'll be great the Uncle Toby's CD never like I definitely listened to it at least once. Had I think it was Johnny Diesel. No, you know what it was? Jimmy Barnes again. Yeah, Jimmy totally. Barnes and In Excess doing Good Time. Oh, dude. Dude, what, what a, track. a track. Yeah. And Noise Works, Hot Chili Woman. That was Another great yeah. song. Great. Underrated harmonica. It's usage. like a lot of, like a, that's like the NRL footy show's greatest hits. Oh, yeah. It's a full <laughs> Sports Tonight montage. Totally. Yeah. But so, um, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm like 10 in, in 94. And I'm kind of getting into this stuff and I've got some CDs off my brother. Uh, I got the Weezer Blue album. Would that have been 94? I feel like it... I feel I like I, I got the Blue album and I got Blur, The Great Escape yeah. at a similar time. I, that was kind of post Kurt Cobain dying. But I remember being like, I kind of like music like this now. Yeah. And I liked Kiss. I got into Kiss because I had a neighbor yeah. who was like... Now that I think about it, it's probably not much older than me now when I started going over their house, just like, hi, who yeah. are you? you you've, got, you've got long hair and yeah, those, they had like a baby. It was like a young couple. Yeah. And he had a huge record collection. He played the drums. I eventually bought my drum kit off him. Yeah, right. But he had Kiss Records and it was Alive 2, which has Gene Simmons covered in blood on the back. And I saw it yeah. and was like, head exploded. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. It's like, can I please borrow this? Can I can I listen to this? Whatever. He's like, yeah, man, whatever. Yeah. And I took it. I traced all the pictures on like... Yeah. Yeah, I would like just totally... That's what I would do when I'd find something I liked. I'd do that. And I, I definitely have... Well, I, I don't have them anymore. I wish I did. But traced drawings of like the cover of In Utero and the spider bait unfinished galleon of Finley Lake. And, yeah. Which is a... Is that a Canberra reference? I don't know. It's a reference to some town. Uh... Yeah, so that sort of thing. So I remember kind of getting into it and then Kirkman died and I was like, oh, well, this is this is done. It's all over Shit. now. Yeah. Alternative like, music. My brother's like, oh, that's crazy, huh? He died like full on. And I was like, yeah, bummer. And then I yeah. was just like, oh, well, that's over now, I guess. Yeah. But so 98 was my first proper concert that I went to. It was Green Day on the Nimrod tour. Yep. It was at Festival Hall. We, I went with some other kids from my school and I guess all the parents like conference and were like, they can go. It was like... Yeah, dropped everyone off. It was like three girls, three guys. Okay, perfect went date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And went with them and made us get seats, obviously, because mm-hmm. we're like... And now I think about it, I'm like, Your you're kids. right. I was yeah. like, yeah, 13, maybe, or yeah. whatever. And got seats, but this was when Festival Hall 
I don't know, concerts... I mean, the Beatles play there, so it's not like concerts that are crazy haven't been happening, but yeah. they weren't prepared. Like, I've, I've been to Festival Hall since, and they have, like, big fence thing up. It's yeah. a system. This was, like, the barrier. Everyone's on it, and everyone's just looking at each other, and then every 10 minutes, five people would jump over and just run into the crowd, yeah, right. and the security would try and get them. So, eventually, that happened so many times, and I'm like, well, we're doing this. This is, this yeah. is how that's going to happen. Part of the show. Yeah, this yeah. is... I'm going in that part, because when we get out of here, no one knows that we were in there. Like, I'm yeah, already yeah. sweaty. And so there was like a big rush. And so I was like, yep. Yeah. So me and a couple, I think like one of the girls and one of the guys like jumped over and disappeared. We're like, I mean, outside. And it was like amazing. Yeah. Totally. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I don't need to do this every time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to get completely like yes. demolished by like dreadlocks. And, big sweaty and I was a little kid really. Yeah. Like, but that was my first proper concert. So I guess between 94, 98, that's when I discovered... Um, yeah, grade five, I got lent a copy of No Effects Ribbed. Yeah. Um, and I also got off Rowan Dodds, who is a guy at my high school, and he played bass in Hit List. Yes. Uh, and he now lives in the country on a Brad farm. Yeah. So he was like the the only kind of punk guy at my school. Yeah, right. There was like one, he was the one in his year level. There was like one a couple of years above him. Yeah. I was way down from that, mm. but he kind of had that. You know, like you, rec- you're like, hey, I know that you know. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah. And he was like, hey, you, I see that you have, you know, like a no effects whatever sticker or whatever. He's like, yeah. Here's a record from this because I, I had him off like, I don't know, like a, like a BMX video or something. I don't know. Yeah. But basically, got lent stuff like that through older people and just totally, at the time, probably didn't even like it. But I was like, oh well, yeah, I'll make myself you, like this. Yeah, this, this is yeah. what you're gonna get into. Yeah, this is odd. Uh, yeah. I think, and I think like. Yeah, like I, I said it on one of the other ones as well, that like I had, um, you know, like I had a, f- <clears throat> my whole thing with getting into like alternative music was by way of like, I liked it, but before I listened to it, I listened to rap and that already was like, yeah, right. you know, like that was kind of pushing had, had things. Had some swears. Yeah, I had some swears and like I didn't want my parents to hear me listening to it yeah. and stuff. And then it was the same thing with like new metal. It was like, it's basically rap, but just louder like oh, like new metal is such a good invention like yeah. as far as like well, for angsty teens yeah like, if you're trying to yeah if you're trying to piece it together it's you know i'm trying to think of a fast food that's combined two great things and just being like oh why didn't we think of this before like yeah it makes sense that new metal is so popular it also makes sense that it so has such disdain like people have such disdain yes. for it because it's so bad as well. Yeah, yeah. And people get over it very quickly. Yeah. Like, I know... Like, I, I... Definitely, if you put on a song that's a good, like, corn song, I will still say it's a good song. Dude, I just read an article about them touring for the 20-year of, like, self-titled album. Okay. And in my Great. head, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm hearing, <laughs> I'm hearing that... <laughs> like, and just these drums that sound like yeah. tin cans. And, yeah, just... That, and as soon as like someone can put on uh, the article had a link of the music video for Got the Life and I was like I watch, I was like I'm watching this I'm yeah. gonna be nostalgic right now they're like on low rider bikes and walking pit bulls yeah. and they're wearing and like was, sequin tracksuits and yeah. I remember watching it the first time and losing my mind being like holy shit the music video was shot by the guy who made Charlie's Angels yeah, right. That <laughs> McGee guy. Right, right. Because oh, it has a car that does like a sidewinder yeah. full flip. And the, and the bit where the car comes out, that tunnel is the tunnel that all the people come out of in um, 
Dark Knight Rises in Batman. Oh, when it's the same. Yeah, 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 it's the same tunnel thing. Wow, they were. They've always been ahead of the game. Yeah. Come on, come on. But Double yeah, things. that that song, like, I can hear that the first clangy, horrible bass yeah. note of any of those songs, and I'm instantly transported to uh, dude, dude called Lucas near where I grew up, the same age as me. Yeah, but he lived with his grandparents. Like, I guess his parents. He had like some weird situation going on. Yeah. Lived the grandparents, and they just didn't get it like they didn't no. know they're like uh are you allowed to just be out i guess i don't yeah. know like how does this work so <laughs> night time yeah cool. and they had this big his grandpa had like built a barn in the back of their house pretty much yeah. so we would just go and hang out there yeah. and listen to corn and 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 all that stuff this is like yeah 96 97 yeah and it just i can hear it i can smell lynx africa i can taste <laughs> i can taste fanta like yeah. it's just it's all connected all that combo and i didn't get super into new metal or anything but yeah a lot of my fr- and actually they were all into slipknot when slipknot came out and i always thought it was lame because i always just thought the masks were really lame yeah and i was i could never get past that and i was into fat records at that point yeah and anything to do with that but really like what's lamer like men there's weird metalheads in masks or like Weird, like, dudes in really big shorts making fart jokes and, like... <laughs> Who are definitely starting to get too old to be doing they that. They were all <laughs> too old for it already, you yeah. know, but... Um, and it's weird because Pennywise and all those bands, they were my favourites. And now... And even even back then, like, I went and saw Pennywise at the Warp Tour in 99 mm-hmm. or 98. 99, I think. Yeah. And even then, I was like, ah, oh, I don't like motocross dudes. Like, they're <laughs> annoying. Or like, These are oh, people I don't need to I'm see. I'm like, oh, Pennywise fans aren't very nice or yeah. be kind of annoying I'm like oh but I like Pennywise how does that fit yeah. but yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird thing you're not doing a backflip while you're listening to them yeah, yeah. um alright well so when did when did from being in Barnes and listening to it and going to see Pennywise <laughs> turn into you starting to play music oh so I the neighbor heard the Kiss record his yep. name's Greg yep and his wife Laura and they have two kids and their kids are now like twenty. Four yes. and twenty. Well, older like, than you yeah, remember them. <laughs> super, super weird. Because yeah. I actually babysit them. Yeah. Um, but they, he uh, had a drum kit in the house, and I was like, "Can you teach me how to play drums?" Which now, as a drummer, mm. people say that oh, I'd love to learn how to play drums, and that's yeah. the most annoying. Qu- like, I'd be like, it sucks. <laughs> I'd be like, "Well, I'm not going to teach you, and you, know, <laughs> you just do it." I didn't. Whatever. So. The Christmas holidays, grade six, going into grade seven. In grade seven, at my school, you had to do an instrument. Yeah. Because you do recorder and shit before that. Yeah. But they're like, all right, starting in year seven, you're going to do an instrument. Um, you can be in the brass, woodwind, whatever. Like, um, you yeah. can do piano. And I was like, can we do drums? And they're like, if enough people do drums, you can do it. Right. And uh, there was three kids that were going to do it. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll do drums. So uh, Christmas holidays, grade six into grade seven, I was like, I'm going to start learning how to play drums. And in my like in my head, I was like, he's going to be so pumped. And now that I think about it, he'll be like, thank God, like this kid is going to leave me alone and stop like hassling me to teach him. Yeah. And he'd like taught me a few things, even wrote me some notes on it and stuff. But I would basically just go there and be like, can I play your drum kit? He's yeah. like, yeah, okay. And I just like bashing away or whatever. Yeah. Um, so... He, I was like, oh, I, I want to get a drum kit, you know. He goes, oh, I've got an old one that's at a rehearsal studio that's like the, it's like the shared kit or whatever and they just have it there. Yeah. And he's like, I bought it originally for my son. He had like an older son somewhere else and he's like, but he was never interested in playing drums and I just left it there. 
we get that back. And I think I paid like, I had to go home and be like, all right, here's the deal, mum and dad. He's yeah. got a kit. He wants to sell it to me. I think it was like 200 bucks, which was a million dollars. Yes. Essentially. But I'm like, I'm going to do it next year. I'm learning at school. I need to be able to practice, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was like, if I did saxophone, the saxophones are like $600. Like I remember <laughs> like, just yeah, I was it, totally yeah. just like, just playing all this stuff. And, uh, so he was like, okay, New Year's day. <laughs> He's like, we'll get it. We'll get it in New Year's. So I'm like at their door, nine o'clock New Year's <laughs> day. And this dude's like, definitely definitely smoking a bit of weed like on the side like he's like in my head I'm just like oh he's like that weird hippie dude I'm like too young to get it but he's like a Gladstone Park native yeah he's like right drum kit hey okay (laughs) fuck Um, so he he's like oh well we gotta go pick it up from the rehearsal room better yeah we'll go tonight and get it okay cool and so we went I remember going to pick it up we get there and I'm expecting like a drum kit to look like a drum kit and he's like um, and there's just a, like one single tom no skins on the bottom and there's like a weird stand over there and he kind of pieces all this stuff together and I don't even know how to set it up and there's actually a photo of me I, I took it home and put it all together and set it up and the hi-hats are like out to one side on the wrong end and like the symbols on this crazy angle yeah. and I'm sitting there on this that you thought yeah, looked appropriate I'm sitting on like a plastic stool because I didn't get a stool with it just yeah. all that shit but uh, that was how I got drums and from that point forward that was so start of year seven we start the lessons by mid-year there's like a concert review or whatever and i played drums with uh two other guys a guy called peter played bass a guy called dale played guitar and this girl melissa sung and we played uh when i come around by green day yeah this is at like our year seven review yeah and we played an original song that we wrote yeah. but it was just it was instrumental because it was just us playing that and then we played No Doubt because she was a girl yes <laughs> and that's what you <laughs> that did like, most, that was the most we're like yeah the so, punk thing that you could do yeah, but that. we used to jam and practice and we would play like the first riff of Paranoid over and over and over perfect um, I would do the little offspring you know like keep them separated hi-hat <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. like I learned how to do that Good. and this is all because the older dudes at the school who are year 9 year 10 and they were we, Rowan Dodds included <clears throat> yeah. he was uh, he actually sung in a band at that point and they played at the school fate so this is like I went to this school called Overnewton it was an Anglican yeah. college Okay. and I remember there being this school fate and the bands are all playing and stuff so this band gets up and plays like some Red Hot Chili Peppers and they play like actually in hindsight probably pretty good players like ba- like yes. dudes like fully they doing play ba- the yeah. instruments yeah. and they're playing all like so psycho sexy like the kind of funky yeah, yeah. stuff so it's like yeah and then different people are singing because not any one person could sing so it's yeah. all covered and then they're like oh, blah, 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 and uh, Rowan's gonna sing this one and he gets up and he's got no shoes on and he's already like kind of a tank in, yeah. in school so I didn't know who Henry Rollins was back then but yeah. essentially he would have looked like Rollins right, which okay. he kind of does anyway but and they play Bullet in the Head by Red Use the Machine <laughs> yeah. with the full extended outro where it's oh just God. like screaming Bullet in the Head for like three minutes or whatever. At an Anglican at this, school fate. <laughs> and there was like kids moshing and stuff, like four kids moshing. Yeah, but yeah. it was just, I remember being like, damn, this is so good. Yeah. But yeah, so from grade seven, I like would started playing in bands. But then as a proper band... Uh, Year nine, I met some guys at like a local freezer gig, which yeah. is like the yeah youth council thing. Mm-hmm. 
met some guys um, who I still see some of them today. Uh, and we started, they were like, do you want to do this band? And so we did it. Uh, and we played our first gig like end of year nine. So the guys that I was playing with at school were those same guys from year seven. Yeah. And we were playing like MXPX covers and, yeah, yeah. and no effects and whatever. And then with these other guys, we actually started writing songs. So we had a band year, end of year nine. And then that went all the way through and became another band like around year 11 and kind of morphed into this weird band. And then pretty much right as I was finishing year 12, we kind of started her nightmare. No, right. That my first year out of school, we started her nightmare because with this, was it different guys? Actually, I went to high school with, um, Billow and Boehner and then Poi who played bass went to a different school. We were friends, but I didn't even really know Billow and Boehner, but, and Chiz, but they were all the year below me at school. Okay. And so when I finished high school, then they finished year 12 and that's when they were like, do you want to do this thing? And we started playing those freezer shows and stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of the transition through. But the band that I had, it was called Jester. Okay. Sweet name. Of Very course. Name. Like, yeah. What else do you get when you name, you name a band when you're in year nine? Yeah. But we would play like all these freezer shows, but we were playing like Werribee and then Epping and... So at like the time Eltham. that would have been like like a tour that pretty much so far but away my mum had to drive me everywhere like <laughs> and we'll, our, in, our individual mums would drive us to all these different places and yeah. then we'd kind of one of the mums had a van and we'd all try and get in there mm-hmm. but we'd play freezer shows all over but um, yeah we'd be like Eltham at the Fruit Bowl supporting like I don't know Jebediah or something like, that, like that's crazy yeah but there was 12 bands on the bill yeah, at, but sure. It's still, it was like, holy shit. And then we played at Revolver. So I was in like grade, when I was in grade 11 or 10, when I was in grade 10, we played Revolver yeah. on a Wednesday night, Yeah. which I was like, well, this is Michael Jackson in a helicopter. You've made I'm it. Done. Yeah. Like, yeah. And we played at the art house when I was in year 11. Um, which to people now would be like playing. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And at the time I was like, this place is weird. <laughs> but I remember playing and there was... Um, like the bar was like the corrugated bar with all the stickers and there yeah. was punk stickers that I recognized from because I was going to like gut a mouth at the corner and stuff and sure. so uh, for amusement only we're playing and different like sort of Melbourne punk bands were playing so I'd start, I'm like oh this is where those kind of bands play when they're not supporting the Ataris the or whatever bands, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I was like wow that's pretty cool so we played there once um, and I have like a little scrapbook of stuff it's pretty I'm, I'm really stoked that that's how I grew up because it didn't yeah. it didn't seem like a huge deal but it was no. looking back on it I'm like man that was kind of yeah. cool to be I mean and that, that's honestly like a thing like I'm sure people I mean I would argue that a ton of people from Melbourne would be envious of that being yeah. a thing you know and if like, they heard the band they would not be envious <laughs> well I mean I, I had a similar thing in the sense that like the first time I ever played at a pub I can even remember where it was, but I, I know, I do remember for sure the first time we ever played at a bar, everyone in the first, like, band that I played that played shows, we were all like, no one fuck up. Everyone play everything perfectly. We've only got, like, three songs. We're going to make this count. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and I think the first time I was like, it was like a battle of the bands in, like, an afternoon, but it was at a pub, so it was like, it was a proper yeah, show. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember we made shirts. And wow. They, they cost so much money. Yeah, man. I, I can't, it was, it would have been like, I think we sold them for 20 bucks, but I think they were like 
eighteen dollars each <laughs> to make the shirts. And we all got Was like, it from like the Kodak print shop where they could print onto a t shirt or something? It wasn't it definitely wasn't a screen printer. Like it was like <laughs> someone made them and I think we made like thirty shirts. What was the band called? Echo Inside was what the band was called. That just sounds like a band that plays a bang now. Anyway. Well, like... It does. And the best thing about it is it's named after a it's from a Sepultura lyric, which oh, is that's pretty sick. sick. Yeah. It is sick. Yeah. But that was like the first proper band I played shows with. And like we Played like a battle of the band thing. I can't remember. Uh, anyway, it was at a pub or something. It was like a proper venue. Yeah. And, in Canberra? Yeah, in Canberra. And every one of our friends bought all the shirts and all wore them at the show. And yeah. I remember at the time thinking like, guys, this is it. Yeah. We never need to do anything. Ever. We can all forget working. Yeah. <laughs> because There's, it's we've so, done it. It's so weird. Like your perspective of, of all that stuff then. And it's not like... Oh man, I'm so dumb. But like, in relative terms, like we we played in in Werribee at this place called Vault Nightclub, which is okay. still there, I think. And it was a nightclub attached to like a Westfield. It was okay. one of those kind of like I'm pretty sure it was like an over 28s on a Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And I I guess we would play like a Sunday afternoon. There'd be like an all ages show, or whatever. Okay. But there was this band that would play, and they were not much older than us. So we like you know year ten ish. Yeah. And they were called Hypnocide. I want to say mm-hmm. they were called. And their older brothers, like, they were, like, a bunch of younger new metal brothers of an older new metal brother band. Right. And that band, <laughs> I can't remember what they were called, but they were big, like, yeah. in, you know, quotation marks. So, they, they're like, man, that, that dude's brother, like, he plays in the band, they play at Goo. And I'm like, I've seen posters for Goo. Like, yeah. that's, like, an actual place. Right. Like, so, this band's playing, and they were a full new metal band, like, act- kind of crazy town vibe. Wow. Okay. And so... I mean, these things were like a fashion parade for bad early 2000s, 90s. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. like, you went there and, like, I was definitely, like, channeling my inner Drazik, like, wearing all my best, <laughs> you know, I had a, t- like, your TAB shirt. And my dad worked for the TAB. It was, like, an old giveaway promo shirt. And yeah. I thought it was so rad. But, like... Spent a I lot can, of time working on your hair. Yeah, fully, I can remember, like, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to say, but everyone has to, at some point in their life, well, maybe not everyone, but, like, I remember being like, what What will I wear? We're yeah. going to play at this venue. Yeah. And I don't know anyone there. Like, I want to I I look pro. Make your mark. I want to be a cool guy. <laughs> and so I went there and then these they were like men. I was like, that guy's got a goatee. Like, <laughs> what is going on? And so they had a DJ. Yeah. But he didn't have turntables. He just had like sampler stuff, I guess. Yeah. But he wore ski goggles on his head. Oh, God. Perfect. And he had like a puffy silver vest. Yeah. I remember that. And then the singer had like a crazy name. He was named like, you know, it was like, oh, Steve, John, his name was like J-Bone or some shit. And <laughs> he had a tattoo on the back of his neck, yeah. like upper back, kind of near his neck. Yeah. And it was of the Playboy Bunny logo. Sweet. Oh my God. And this like, sounds like a hero. the rumor was that he like, <laughs> it's so like these overland, like the dude's right there. I could just be like, hey man. Yeah. they like, he's got his girlfriend's name tattooed on the inside of his lip. I'm like, He's insane. That's Holy crazy. Yeah. yeah. So this dude's in like year 12. Probably, probably <laughs> dropped out. But anyway. Yes. And his parents hated I remember being like, these guys are the real deal. Like they're, yeah. they're massive. And yeah. they had their own like kind of smoke machine, mirror ball shit going on. The drummer had like the full corn kit, like Matt, like 12 times. Way too many yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, they just, you know. Those eyebrow rings just falling out of it everywhere, like because this is two thousand, two thousand. Yep, yeah, this would be two thousand, I guess. So 
it's prime time for all of that. And yeah. our band was definitely more like we went to a. I went, I'd changed schools by then, and it was like a public school, um, kind of heartbreak high vibe, I guess. Like right. no uniform, and it was like we were just like the grungy kids. So yeah. it was like op shop, funny clothes, and like, um, we used to. I don't know. I was probably wearing like an Ezekiel visor. That would have been my 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 feature piece. Wow. At the time. Okay. Like, what color? It was navy blue, yellow okay. stitching. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. And it was good because Carlson, uh, who was like, I just kind of met him at that point. Yeah. And he was big, loud guy that he still is. Mm-hmm. But he had a telecom uh, visor. <laughs> so it was like, and then I got hold of a subway visor. The subway had just kind of come out. Okay. So it was like the visor. Yeah. Finding good there was visors. A, there was a whole scene. Yeah. For he, the he had a KFC one for a brief period, I think. Like, yeah. There's definitely some visor vibes going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, quite a functional hat, really. Yeah, yeah well... Yeah. Backwards, so, forwards, upside down. But yeah, it's just so funny, like, your perspective of what's big. And because we didn't... We didn't grow up in that generation of, like, seeing Parkway. Because I, I didn't know any local band that I could be like, oh, we could do what they did. Like, yeah. No, the bands that were big were already big. Yeah. And I never saw kids become a big band. No, like even what? even like In Hearts Wake and all these bands that are on Unified now. Yeah, I remember them when they were all oh, starting out. Me and too. So yeah. there'd be loads of younger kids who I've only ever known them as being kind of like a moderate sized band, and now they're pretty big in that world. Yeah, we didn't have anything to compare that to. So these kind of bands were, I guess, the equivalent of that. Yeah, I, don't, I think I like maybe I lie like just on the cusp of where that maybe started occurring. Yeah, but maybe that is that's also reflective of Australia's alternative music scene as a whole is that it started to turn yeah to be slightly more successful after and i didn't i didn't know know anything about a hardcore scene at that point and at that point when i was you know playing in these bands this is before hardcore was even a uh like a you know a stepping stone into that world because yeah that that turn took place like 2004 like from queen parkway split somewhere after that yeah so at this time, even if I did know about Hardcore, it would have been Mindsnare and Toe to Toe at like somewhere small, and there would have been a fight. Like it was not, yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it wasn't a marketable thing. No, no, such. no. But like those shows that I was talking about with the Ataris and Guttermouth and stuff, they were big shows. Yeah. And yeah. so if a band supported that, like Tilt Meter supported Incubus, mm. and I was like, I know those guys, and they yeah. support. That's crazy. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I remember the thing for. I mean, and I guess it's effectively the same thing but being from like coming from metal instead of punk like when i in camera the thing for us was like like and it's the weirdest shit in the world for me now that one of the guys from that band is in my band but like right at the time pod people was like they were the biggest band in canberra in terms of metal yeah and i mean there was alchemist but as well josh who's in i exist was in alchemist too so it's also like Furthermore, at the time... But how old were you when you got into this, into the metal scene? Like, there was an I, underage metal scene or all ages? Yeah, yeah, there was an underage... But, they, like, Alchemist would play... Like, Metal for the Brain was all ages. Right, right. So, that was, like, the big thing. Yeah. Was Frank going and, to metal. Frankenbock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those sort of things. And, like, but Richie, then... Richie from Frankenbock recorded... The first thing I ever recorded was with that band Jester. So, like, I'm in year nine. We go and record a terrible EP yeah. in Brunswick behind a Suvlaki shop in this little garage. And it's... And it's this dude with like a, like a bald patch on top <laughs> and dreadlocks. And we're like, are, are you in a band, man? And yeah. he's like, yeah, dude. And we're like, what's it called? He's like, Frankenbock. And I was like, that's the shittest name I've ever heard. 
But yeah, like, I, was for you though? Was metal like was it dangerous in Canberra? Was it like? Um, well, I mean, I, I guess the first time I saw it, like, I think, so one of the guys from Alchemist, which again, I mean, a lot of people probably don't even know who Alchemist are now, but like, yeah. in, when I was in school, Alchemist were like an enormous death metal band. Yeah. They're not even that much a death metal band, really, but right. like. Yeah, but it's heavy and yeah, it's. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. at the time it was like insane. Yeah. But one, uh, two of them were teachers at CIT, which is. TAFE in Canberra. Yeah, right. And they both taught the music program. Yeah. Funnily enough, Murph and Alex from I Exist both went through that program with them as teachers. But, so they would often play shows at the school because, like, they would, like, headline a show that the school would organise. Right, right. Just because they were, like, they toured overseas and stuff, yeah. you know? They were a big band. And, like, so there was always that and then there was always just, like, the younger new metal bands and, like, me and Patty talked about it. There was this band from Canberra called Mighty Few who were like, some of the dudes from Hoodlum Shouts were in that band. Right. And they were like the Deftones. Like they just sounded yeah. like the Deftones. Yeah. Or totally. as far as I could assume, that was what they were going for. Yeah. So around that time that I was seeing like the heaviest stuff like Pod People and Alchemists who actually listened to like proper metal. <laughs> and then I was seeing dudes, a, you know, a bit younger than them playing like the Deftones and being like, these guys are like enormous. And then you would, I would never know who these bands were, but then like, you know, I would soon find out who they were, but like sometimes international tours would flow through Canberra yeah, and pod people would play. And I would be like, imagine being those guys yeah. from pod people. And yeah. then as well, as I got more into it, I, you know, would later, I mean, I'd seen it before and sort of flowed throughout, but like Josh was in blood duster. Yeah. And, like, it's no secret to anyone that knows me, but Blood Dust are, like, my favourite band. Yeah. Because of, like, a favourite, like, Australian metal band, because it was, like, they got swearing. They got... They're teasing everyone. It's super brutal. Like, yeah. there was all these... Re- it's groovy. Like, there was all these reasons why I liked it. <laughs> and, like, Josh was in that band, and he was in this band from Canberra. So, like, if he can be in that band, I can be in that band. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. So, it was, like, you know? uh... Yeah, it's it's aspirational yeah. to be like, like wow. and th- that was how I that was how I saw that because yeah. I was like one day it's I could possible. be like in that and the the funniest thing about all of it is the fact that like I played a band with him now and he's like yeah. one of my best friends <laughs> like and he's so what you're saying is I need to me. track down J Bone <laughs> and start a sweet hey man band. I remember you played Boy Town <laughs> I recognize you, at you. Now? <laughs> is that Kate's name on the inside of your lip that I see. Mm. I noticed your eyebrow ring scar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, the other, the other thing I just it just entered my mind with these freezer gigs. Like we used to do them with her nightmare as well. Yeah. And Chris that played in her nightmare played bass. Poi Chris I call him both, but he and I play in a band together now still. But we maybe we'll get to that. But um, so we would play these freezer gigs, and we he had like a little bungalow at the back of his parents' house, and we mm-hmm. would jam in there, and. The freezer gigs always had sweet riders, not yeah. alcoholic riders, yes. but there would be like a lot of slabs stuff. and slabs of water. Yeah. And we had this fridge in there and we would take his base to the car yeah. and then put the base in the car and then take the base case back and then fill the case with water <laughs> and do that like four times and then take every like bags of snakes and like lollies and shit. And so the, the jam room was just always full of drinks. Little and, like, snacks. Yeah. And sometimes you'd play like a 
one of those crazy things. I guess they gave us water because you don't want to just feed kids sugar, but sometimes yeah. there'd be like a, the cube of Fanta or whatever. And you'd be like, oh, we are taking the Fanta cube. <laughs> so it's like, it's, yeah, it's so it's funny. So but that freezer shit is so important. Like if that, got, yeah. if that fell apart, there's kids who we'd, who I knew growing up that got involved with that. And it's weird because that, that whole kind of underage scene, there is no other option. Like, for accessible and you know I guess parents feel safe letting their kids go to these things that are council run but there's kids on those committees and you know they're painful to be around like if you've ever played one they're like um do you have a wristband to be and you're like it's fine like we're all adults here we know how to do this but like those kids who are awkward and weird like it gives them a sense of responsibility and they can you know they could be having a really tough time at, in, in the rest of their life and that's yeah, like yeah. that's their little thing they've got and, it's, and on the other side of that there's like kids who could potentially be great musicians or amazing um, you know involved in the back end of music which is just as important promoters and all of that Fucking stuff nice. and they get their like you know they get their chops through doing this yeah. this freezer shit so. well I mean and, and as someone who works with kids that's like I can see the value in that and mm. I mean I know the other side of it too, where I've played those things and they, some people have been really fucking annoying. Yeah. And I've like tried as hard as I can to hold back the lame side of my personality where I just was like, Hey, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. You like, know, it's a classic. It just strings to my, like my vision of these things. Like I would go, you know, we'd go to these things every Friday in, in Essendon or whatever. There'd be one at Ukrainian hall. And like, yeah, we'd see like friends or Rom, Jebediah, something for Kate would play. Yeah. Um, which is funny. Cause it's like bands that I do work for and stuff yeah. now, but <laughs> like we'd go to these shows, motor race and like she had and stuff, but I can just picture that the, the kind of misfit, mismatched group of kids that would run these things yeah, under sure. the under the guidance of like the whoever was the youth leader guy or for whatever. Sure. Um, guy called Shane Wickens ran it for ages and now works at the push and does like the Victoria wide stuff. Yeah. But I can just, I have this vision of like, you know, the stamp to get in on your wrist or whatever. Mm. There'd be the kids who are stuck with door duty stamping or whatever. Yeah. And you'd go past and one of them would have his entire face stamped. And he'd be like, oh, well, I've, like I'm crazy you know like oh, God. and you're just yeah. like even as like a teenager I was like oh my god just, come on dude yeah just lumpies just getting around being <laughs> like uh, and I, there was this one this one kind of set of gigs they kind of would they try to start I guess like a club in some ways like they'd give it a name like bang or next but yeah. it was so it was called um, oh man I'm gonna I'm, I'm blanking on what it was called but they had a a cow suit that obviously was like from some other thing. Okay. And so one of the kids on the committee's job was just to wear the, the cow suit and just run around and like give out lollies and shit. And it's, oh my God. it, in my mind now, it's the lamest thing ever, but yeah. you know, it was probably very important. For, yeah. For that. And for those kids to feel important is, yeah. it's, it's a really cool thing, man. I think mm. music is so elitist on, in so many ways. Yeah. No, I mean, and everyone is guilty of it too. Like yeah. anyone who has had any experience of like, you know, success in the form of like, you have played a show that yeah. you have headlined. Yeah. You are, by standards of those children. Yeah. You are like a fucking rock star. Like totally. I honestly, like 
when I saw Vance playing last at a show, yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, there I have 100 people here totally. to look at that band play. <laughs> like, I have like film camera selfies with like the bass player from She Had. I don't even know what he looks like, <laughs> but like I there's an album at my parents' house of like all stuff from that kind of period. Yeah. I'd be like, "Hey, there's the the guy that was doing the yeah, cool." <laughs> like it's just it's so weird, but you know, as as lame as some of that can be, I would take that any day of the week over self-important band with a manager that is like their mate that is trying to just like fast track it to somewhere based off uh you know parkway's the easy reference but like these bands that kind of yeah we're gonna have our first shows coming up in six weeks check out the web store we've got this and this and this like it's ridiculous and and i'm like i'm from an advertising marketing kind of world i do a bit of that stuff and i can appreciate good marketing but it's like earn earn your stripes a little bit yeah like you got it. Yeah. But also, it's 2015 and kids pre-order shit from people that... Bands that don't exist, you know? Yeah. There's been multiple side projects that have never released anything or played a show but well, sold merch, those, you like, know? that... Uh, the dude from... Max Cavalera from... Um, oh, the Se- dude. Several true, yeah. And, like, the fucking guy from... The drummer from Converge played for him. That band there in... Singer oh, from really? Dillinger Escape Plan. I don't know what they're called. I can't remember. Some they, kind of super they, group. Yeah. They just did Soundwave. And I think it was the first shows they'd ever played. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, whatever. They're obviously really famous people. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like then they were ever going to play a, a 50 punter gig. But like, yeah. that's the... <laughs> like, how... They would have been paid like tens of yeah. thousands of dollars. Oh, like, Max, you've got to play the Evelyn on a Thursday, mate. <laughs> you got to earn this, bro. Get it together. And he would be like, cunt. You gotta I do, wrote Roots. You've got to do a No Doubt cover, man. <laughs> you got to earn that. Oh, man. Um, Alright, well, so after Freezer and all that went along, when yeah. did when did Her Nightmare start becoming like a more of a proper thing for you well, to we, have to deal with? Yeah, to be honest, like, it's crazy because that was actually so long ago now. Like, mm. I, I actually left the band uh, in 2006. Seven. Wow. Towards the end of 2007, I left the band because I got a job and they, for Atticus clothing yep. label. Yes. Uh, and it was like this big shiny thing like, hey, like to be like a marketing type thing. I don't know. It was, it was weird and it totally fell over and didn't work out and yeah. has done the same for other friends of mine who have worked for them. Yes. So, a lot of people, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, but they were like, we want to bring you to England for two months and like, yep you know, do this thing. And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I don't even know how old I was, 23 or something, 24. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, like maybe it's, maybe I should kind of knuckle down and kind of do the, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And so, I was like, it's a good opportunity, I should do it. And I remember it being the biggest deal ever. Like, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the band. Like, yeah. And it's not the fucking Beatles. Like, what no, am I yeah. about? But everything yeah. seems like a big deal. I remember we played shows and, um, Billow, our guitarist, filled in for Carpathian on one of the first times we went to Adelaide for like Crafter Fest 1 or 2. Yeah. They, their guitarist had left and he filled in. And I can remember like the discussion like, so are you going to leave and like go <laughs> join that? Like, yeah. everything was so dramatic, you know. But so we started that. Um, I was, it was, they you know, we just finished year 12. I was first year out. Um, me and Chris were first year out. And so that is, yeah, 2003, we played couple of freezer things and then 
Crafter actually came to a show with a couple of other guys because he was in town and I guess he'd heard about he'd heard about her nightmare somehow yeah. I don't know why and we had no idea what we were doing like it was just the worst like we were just we'd basically write a breakdown and yeah. then break that breakdown down <laughs> and it was just, just build the dumb and ignorant it. and like I, I had listened to very little hardcore like I was kind of I was playing drums in it but I was like well I can play punk that's the fast part so yeah. I'll just slow down the yeah, fast part yeah I guess yeah. and then yeah um, but we were all like really enjoying it and we would go to shows at the art house from like I right, I, I turned 18 in year 12 so like through year 12 we'd go to like um, there was like still a lot of mixed bills so like Horsehole Common would be playing with yeah someone and then like I remember the Mind Snare 10 year show mm-hmm. was like 03 or whatever went to that and those kind of shows I was going to the art house pretty much every weekend and seeing these hardcore shows and we were like oh we could we could totally do a hardcore band and so we did this thing and um, yeah that we played a few Fraser shows and then Crafton rocked up and like did some spin kicks I guess there was kids all our friends came it was one of, it was you know when you're young enough you start a band like your friends are gonna be there yeah no matter what now it's like don't like it now it's like <laughs> hey man we're playing this show and like ah uh, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah but it's like they were all there they were all moshing like there's dudes who I haven't seen in 10 years who were at those shows who have never been to a hardcore show in their life and they were just like fighting invisible ninjas all <laughs> over the place like because we'd all watched the Hellfest 1 VHS or right. whatever, you know, like... Yeah. Um, so, then, uh, Broman, I, I met Broman at, like, Goo or whatever, yeah. through that kind of world. And we kind of had spoken an, enough times that she knew who I was. And mm-hmm. she was somehow involved, I guess, through Graham to get supports for uh, Give Up the Ghost, American Nightmare, yeah. at Art House. So, that's that was 03. And she was like, hey, do you guys want to support Give Up the Ghosts? And I was like, of course. Yeah. yeah. And then that was like the first time we actually played in the scene, I guess. Yeah. Like we'd played at the Art House a couple of like Wednesday night shitty gigs and here and there. But, um, and then from that we like, we got on at Switch and at Goo and then we supported other stuff and we'd play, that was when the green room was still going and we'd play there. Um, Kragos was putting on some like stuff and he liked us and in name and blood, which was still called the setup at that time. Yeah. He's like, Oh, we should play this together. And then all these bands were starting up. Like Carpathian was right around the same time. Um, I had gone to a show down in Frankston with my other band and seen them play at this shitty little pub somewhere. And I was like, Oh, this is like my other band. And I was, I remember talking with Marty. I was like, I've got this other band. It's called her nightmare. Like, yeah. And then, you know, a few months later we were playing. So like, those bands were all kind of starting up um, the abandonment and in name and blood and um, there was a band called as hope fades that was robbed from the abandonment a few bands like that so it was like a, an amazing time to kind of get in and then craft was in prom queen at that point and yeah. so I think you know not long after that we supported prom queen we played with Parkway at the Arty. they came on the split tour and yeah. then they came again like four months later by themselves yeah and we played we supported them there and that's when we like met and became friends and I yeah, basically cool. did merch for them the next week and have yeah, done right. ever since. Like I did their third shirt design yeah. and it was terrible. It's in the book. Yeah. Um, but good book by the way. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, but yeah, like it was just a, it was like that. It's just such a lame 
phrase is like that melting pot time. Like everyone's yeah, no, like, no, no, no. oh, you're, you're a person I don't know. Who are you? Like, oh, yeah. what, band, what band are you from? Oh, who are you friends with? Like, and it wasn't super, I guess there's no agenda. Yeah. Because it was like... Nothing had been set down yet. No. The, big, like, the biggest thing was that like, oh, I heard that Jonah got some free shoes from Macbeth. Yeah. Like, we like, <laughs> imagine, yeah. imagine the thought. Yeah. So it was like, that was the marketability of it, you know, back then. I was like, yeah. Meh. So, yeah, that, that kind of took off. And then I kind of, um, it's like my own fault, but I kind of fell into the role of organ, like organizer. Yeah. That's sure. just how I, I just I ended up like that. Thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, you do it for I exist. So yeah. I organized a lot of stuff for the band. And like at the time, I was the only one old enough to drive. Yeah, right. I was the only one that had a license. Two of the other guys were old enough to drive, but didn't have licenses yet, I don't think. Yeah. And then, but not old enough to even hire a van because you'd be 21. I was still on my P's. Yeah. Um, so getting, yeah, we went on tour with In Name and Blood and they, so that worked because they were older and they, yeah. so we had a van for that. And then we went to Adelaide to play Crafterfest. Oh no, we went to Adelaide with In Name and Blood and we drove my 1984 Corona station wagon <laughs> and Billow's like Commodore or something. Uh, we left at nine o'clock at night or something ridiculous, drove all night, yeah. got there, stayed in a backpackers, had no idea where anything was, like, were too scared to leave to go too far and I was like, oh, I want to find this Midwest trader shop. It's like, it's yeah. like a punk shop. It's, it's like a cool Hot Topic shop. or whatever. Yeah. But like, we, we get to Hindley Street, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning and there's literally people with needles hanging out of their arms laying in the street. Jesus Christ. Perfect. And I'm just like, what have I done? What What is this? <laughs> we played... We entered it. Yeah, yeah, we played, you know, 20 minutes at this place called Jive, which was just down from Enigma. Yeah. I don't know what it is now, but... Um, yeah, it was awesome. And that was kind of how it started. And then we, like, went on from there and just did more tours and Parkway took us out on their first album tour. We always, like... The bands we got along with, we got along with really good. Yeah. But um, I feel like we weren't a particularly social band. And there was like, it was, you know, it's a very angry band. You know, like the sound of it was angry at the time. And so I guess it was, people weren't intimidated, but Mm -hmm. I mean, none of the bands were like, the bands were fine, but I think some of the, the people in the scene were a bit like, what's this band all about? And, and at the same time, like we were dumb. Like I didn't, I didn't know what we were doing like yeah we're still like learning about things like straight edge and st- like it's so, yeah, like, yeah. so ridiculous this is before we started touring stuff obviously but like when i first got into hardcore you're we, that's what getting into something is you're like oh what the fuck is straight edge? like what, yeah, yeah. you're vegan oh what's that like what's that mean yeah yeah like well i didn't drink today am i like the, the questions that make you go yeah, oh my yeah. god i can't believe someone's saying this out yeah like i've asked them in my own head like oh. yeah, yeah yeah so um, but that's that is what it is getting into it, I guess. And we didn't like the internet wasn't useful like it is now back then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But we booked like we would sell. I remember selling like her nightmare demo CDs over MySpace, like direct message stuff. Like yeah, we have yeah. a web store and anything. People were like, oh, have you got CDs? Would you send it to Canberra? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, cool. I mean, pod people, piss off, mate. Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, that's... Well, I mean, that's how we started I Exist, essentially, mm-hmm. was that... I mean, we'd obviously all been in other bands by When that did that point. start? I Exist started in 2009. So, like, really? I, that yeah. recent? Yeah. I would have thought it was longer. Well, I mean, I b- would have met you before that, I guess. 
don't, I don't know. know. It's hard to say, but... I mean, we, like, every, for Alex, it's difficult because, in the sense that a lot of people remember Alex and Murph from Hard Luck being that they would have been playing shows Yeah, well, we played with... so much longer. We toured with someone and went to Canberra, maybe Most Precious Blood, and we played with Stab in the Dark. Which Murph and Alex were in as well. Yep, yeah. and Hard Luck played as well. Yep. Because someone else pulled out, I think, and they were just yeah. like, well, half of us are here. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. But who was that? Chris? Who sung in that? Yeah, was Rush. That? Yeah, Chris Rush. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't remember... I don't remember much about the Canberra kind of scene, like, knowing people or whatever. Like, yeah. But um, I remember the shows were good. We played at, like, the Pot Belly yeah. or something. Yeah. Pot and Bell. then some other place upstairs was the Irish pub. Yeah. And it was, like... You walked up a flight of stairs and there was kind of like a hole in the middle of the room yeah. that you came out of. I don't know. It was Rock Ape? Maybe. I don't know. Green Room? That was another place. But yeah. There. So we, we toured. Like, we did some good tours. And then, um, yeah, as I said, we, so we did an album. We did No Heaven, No Hell. That came out. We did a tour for it. It was like right around the time Stonecutters opened, which was an amazing time for shows yeah, in Melbourne. Yeah. Not to be like, it was rad in my time. But like, I, I came to realize at one point that like, even when you're like, oh man, remember the Stone Coast shows? That's so good. There's kids out there now who are like, man, these Phoenix shows are the best shows ever. And yeah. In five years when Phoenix is still there or not there or whatever, mm. they're going to be like, man, these shows these shows on the moon suck. The yeah. shows back at Phoenix were awesome. Like, yeah. So I'm like, I'm totally not that guy about it, but those shows were so cool. And like, mm. me and Carlson built stage that went in Stonecutters like Cassie and Craig I guess found Stonecutters I don't know how it really came about but it had this just like a single step up like a church kind of thing Mm -hmm. and Carlson was a carpenter and he was like oh I've got to help build this stage and we're like let's build like extenders for like stage dives off the corners (laughs) like like a like a wrestling ring like a builder thing and so we built that and we he was in three sections and we had we hired borrowed this trailer off his cousin and drove it Stonecutters one trip at a time and it was like literally 50 minutes each way to Where his house. Where are you driving from? East Killer. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so like <laughs> so far we built I helped him build this stage and we took it out there and like just shit like that I'm like oh well that time of my life's gone like I'm not going to be involved in that way anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was I would meet people every week from different shows or whatever and be mm. like hey, can you get your shirt for us or like oh, you did that thing can you do this and like that was totally how I like um, built that kind of what I do now. I guess is, yeah. is off that, and it was a so, like totally social thing yeah. that morphed into a job. Um, well, that was the next. That was the next thing I was going to ask. Was like how when did like obviously you got as far as I'm aware you got into that by way of yeah totally playing music effectively. Well, I um, I dropped art. And graphics in high school. I did switch and did business management. Yep. Um, I did media. I didn't really think that art or design was for me. I didn't have a computer that could do design as such. Yeah. Like I would do little bits and pieces for the band I was in. Yeah. I did a VHS cover. We did a VHS wow. like a promo tape. <laughs> when you'd have to send out for gigs, you'd send a CD or tape or whatever. And yeah. I was like, let's do a VHS. And so I like designed a video cover. It was terrible. Yeah. On my mum's computer, you know, but... Uh, yeah so design wasn't whatever for me but then when Her Nightmare started bands were just starting to do shirts and stuff and mm-hmm. I had been working for a screen printer printing umbrellas like 
work, golf umbrellas. Yeah. yeah, right. So I was like, I know how screen printing works. I can yeah. do a shirt that'll work. So we had shirts at our first gig. I, I, I'm the person that I was just talking <laughs> shit on. That's so funny. But like first or second gig, we had a bunch of shirts and they were on... I bought t-shirts at Target and printed like her Nightmare logos on them. Yeah, right. And all our friends had them and stuff. Yeah. Um, but... They weren't pre-ordering it though. They weren't pre-ordering Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was kind of how that started and then it just yeah totally just snowballed and every time something came up that well I'll just do a flyer for that kind of went and I I'd gotten into uni I was doing advertising a creative advertising degree and like a year in it was three years a year in I was I realized I never want to work at an agency because it's the, the stories they would tell us was like well you start as a junior you don't get paid and you like do all this and you have to come up with ideas and someone else will take credit for it and I was like who's signing up for this yeah. shit that's crazy <laughs> that's terrible and it's actually it is like that's the culture it's like a total yeah. bullying like earn your way kind of thing yeah. but when you come to the other side it's like champagne and caviar but yeah. like I was like that's not what I want to do so yeah. but I stayed in the course because I was like I can apply what I'm learning here to the rest of my life being like promoting a product promoting a band okay I can see a way to do that like um, marketing campaign uh, I can send some flyers to Brisbane yeah this show sure. like yeah. and it seems simple but at the time all I really cared about was going on tour like I, all the kids I went to uni with there was they were all older than me because I was like straight out of high school mm-hmm. but they'd be like oh what's on for the weekend I'm like oh we're playing a show in Werribee and then I'm going to this other show and then we're playing on Sunday night at the art house and then yeah. next weekend we're driving to Adelaide and they'd be like what who is your band like why yeah. are you doing this yeah. and I was like oh it's called Her Nightmare they're like I never heard of it yeah and I was like yeah you kind of wouldn't yeah. but and I was I'm not making out like I was like the trench coat mafia outcast guy or anything like <laughs> totally I was totally fine I had friends yeah but like they just weren't from that world no and that was what was that's what I loved about it it was like a little secret club yeah it was a thing you yeah. did yeah and cause now people can go oh yeah like you know blah 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 band or whatever mm, yeah but back then they had no point that there's no reference yeah I used to have to say Pantera as a like they're like well what sort of music is I like hardcore and they're like like death metal I'm like no like Pantera like you know how it's heavy but it's fast and yeah. it's like it's, you can understand what he's saying yeah and a it's bit. driven by the drums and like yeah. they're like oh my cousin listens to Pantera I don't know isn't it all just fucking yelling and I'd be like Oh, and that's you know, yeah. So that was that was total. That's like on cycle for four or five years. Yeah, that system. But um, yeah, so design kind of came through that, and then it eventually crept into other realms because, like, in I mean, the world in general takes takes culture from music, you know. So yeah, yeah. So when fashion was, uh, you know, all these like hardcore and emo look became like a fashionable thing yeah then clothing labels were like well this is yeah. you know this style so thing, things outside of where it came from started yeah. latching on so it. like and then you all of a sudden you start seeing that like you know globe and fresh jive and mossimo have like stuff that kind of is looks a bit more like band merch than it does like sportswear or whatever sure, yeah which now band merch looks like sportswear so it's a weird yeah. <laughs> i don't know how it's changed yeah, yeah. but yeah, so it kind of came through that, and and also I was like expanding and meeting new people. I I joined Everfresh, and I like met a bunch of guys through that. And one of them was working at Rip Curl, and one of them worked on clothing label stuff, like at the, a clothing label called November. Was like okay. a, yeah, 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 and uh, that sort of stuff. So it just kind of expanded, and it the band stuff never went away. I mean, I still 
do band stuff. Yeah, like I'm yeah. doing some parkway stuff literally right now, but um, at the same time, I'm doing like Target kids wear age one to seven. Yeah, wow, crazy. And like, um, I'm doing some stuff for Fast Times Skateboard Shop. Like I do their in-house range or whatever. Yeah. So it's still totally random and comes from all different places. But you know, I I've done stuff for Impericom. It's like a big European merch store. Mm-hmm for bands that I've never even heard of and I've never seen the shirt and I don't know like yeah but what became of it yeah see it used to be like every shirt I did I knew the band I knew two of the guys in the band and I'd see them at the show and I'd see kids wearing the shirt yeah and then it kind of just gets a bit beyond that yeah but that was an important change because it was always friends and like I know, I didn't even charge for a shirt for like the first three years you know like yeah. and then it's like oh 50 bucks I don't know and it's like I've got to live as well. Like I lived with my parents when I was that young, but you you know, you're an adult now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. So that's (laughs) kind of, that's kind of how that happened. And then everything else that's gone with that is just uh, an extension of, of that really. Like, yeah. yeah. So obviously, I mean, from myself and other people that know you, I know you from the band side of things. Mm. But how how did you get in with Everfresh and stuff like that? How did that happen um, for you? Well, it's funny actually. I guess like I was saying about with that freezer stuff earlier, there was in two thousand and in two thousand and two I was in year twelve and I got a I got into like stencil art and okay. street art because I was always into graffiti and stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. And I would do like dumb tags and just different stuff around about. But in I kinda fell into this sort of in 2002 in Melbourne, there was this big boom of like street art, stencil art, whatever. And I was doing stuff. We would be playing at the art house and I would bring stuff in my car and paint the laneways sort of in the city after the show or whatever. Right. And so there was a website called Stencil Revolution, which is essentially what Broken Glass Online was for hardcore. This was like the street art version. Okay. And so I knew all these people from different stuff and people would trade stickers. And like, I went to some dude's house once in like, I don't know, in Dandenong, he's like, oh, my dad's knocking down a house. He said we can paint the whole inside or whatever. Like, everyone come this Saturday. And I just went. I didn't know anyone. Like, it totally could have been a trap. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I went and, like, they were all... Everyone was there. And it wasn't, like, some drug-fueled rave. It was, like, everyone was like, oh, cool. I, I, just, get to paint. Just, I just get to yeah. paint. And there was, like, a fireplace, this big, ornate fireplace. And people were, like, painting all this stuff all over it. And... So it was a, it was kind of like another scene that I kind of found, but I was sort of all on my own. None of my friends in music stuff or close circle of friends were involved in that. So this was like another kind of world. It was sort of weird. Yeah, yeah. So through that, I would meet people and I met, um, we'd go to exhibitions around Collingwood and Fitzroy because they, they were the first kind of street art exhibitions that were going on. Mm-hmm. And I met a few dudes through that and they had a studio that was just a shed in Collingwood pretty much in the back of this mechanic shop. Yeah. And that was the original Everfresh. So it was, um, Megs and, and Roan were in there and Sink and Fibs. So I met, I met Roan and Megs at this exhibition and they were like, Oh, we're going to go drink some beers at the studio. Do you want to come? And I went, and it was just like a big table at a bunch of shit kind of around it right. in the back of this shed. And we like, they were prepping stuff there to then take out and paint on the street at night or whatever. Uh, and I was just like, wow, that's cool. So I would hang out there a little bit. And then one day, um, I met up with one of them and he's like, oh, there's this building around the corner and 
it's huge and this guy we know is taking it to set up a screen printing business and a mechanic shop and he's going to live there kind of like a squat type deal but right. rented yeah and you know like we're thinking about moving the studio in um and i was like oh cool and so then i was like yeah that sounds cool uh and we went they went and did it and i went and helped for like a few weekends just moving stuff in and doing mm-hmm. whatever and at the end of it they're like well you paint stuff and like what do you where do you do it i was like at home in the like driveway or whatever yeah. like i make stuff in my bedroom yeah and they're like well do you want to like start paying rent and come and you can have a space here like you get a key we all just sort of took a corner of this big room yeah and when that studio came out that's when everfresh kind of like became a thing as like a group I right guess. okay so at that point it was the same guys moving in and then myself and a, a guy called maca moved in and so that's been the same lineup since right but now like some of those dudes live overseas some of them don't really do art stuff anymore there's different kind of stuff or they live interstate. But yeah, that was how I came into that. And then since then, like everyone's career paths have sort of changed because everyone was just doing a job and painting stuff. And now we basically all paint or design stuff for a job. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome Yeah, in of itself as well. Totally. That that came out of something as simple as finding a space where you could all be doing it yeah know? and it was literally like just sort of common interests and it was you i would see these guys at shows like every other week because i'd go to like a hardcore show and then i'd go to an art show or something before yeah. that and so you know you just and you're like oh that dude seems cool or whatever like there was people around who seemed like dicks but mm-hmm. yeah and so we'd paid together a few times and then yeah so i it was one of those things after i helped out so much helping a move and i would just be around about uh, they were just like, well, we're already all here hanging out. Like, why don't you just start working here as well? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was really, and it like changed my life totally. Like music, yeah. music changed my life for sure. And then finding a, a studio like that changed my life because outside of that, I don't know if I would have known how to make doing art and design a viable thing Yeah. because I don't have, I've never, I've only worked in a, an actual, for a company doing as a designer one time for mm. like six months but I never kind of knew how to break into that world and I didn't really want to either yeah um, because of I guess that advertising thing and, and also I was like no I'm in a band I like to be free from that so yeah um, yeah it was, it's really strange but it's it's amazing and it still kind of operates in the same way it did back then in that we kind of we all get our own jobs going and then something will come up that's not really suited for one of the other guys and be like, hey, do you want to do this thing? Or, mm. hey, I met this guy and he really likes this style. You could do that. Do you want to take that? Yeah, right, right, right. But it's just on a much bigger scale and yeah. hopefully some of the time there's a bigger budget or it's a corporate or whatever. Yeah. Or it's overseas. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's crazy that that sort of came together for you as well. Like, I guess, arguably through the same sort mm-hmm. of Oh, what I was going to say is that I started that off by saying about Freezer. So, in 03, the local Freezer thing, Her Nightmare was playing, like, Youth Week Festival. Right. And the guy who ran the council, who I knew from when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. um, was like, oh, we want to do, like, a street art thing. Yeah. Do you reckon you could organize it? And I was like, yeah, and me and this guy, Brendan Monkey, who used to work at St. Jerome's, he was, like, a same kind of street art, he's the same age as me and did street art stuff. Uh, we got together because he's from that area and I was like cool we'll build a temporary wall that's like 10 meters long and we'll invite like all these guys that we know and 
I knew a few guys and he knew a few other guys and they all kind of knew each other. So they all came down and painted and now like the people that painted at that thing, yeah, there was probably 10 of us and we all painted this big wall and at the end of the day, it like blew over. It was like made out of plywood and it right. just like, <laughs> and then it got taken and they used it as like a backdrop in the youth center for a while and then somewhere down the line, it just like got tossed out. Yeah. But like, there's dudes that painted on that wall who sell paintings for like $30,000. Like insane. this guy, That's Anthony insane. Lister, there's a guy from Brisbane. He sells paintings for like $50,000 Yeah. and like celebrities buy his shit. And he's like a full-time fine artist yeah. kind of transitioned from street and graffiti art. Uh, Roan painted at that and he like basically just travels around the world painting murals now and then has solo shows and sells huge pieces and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Meg's also painted there fibs and different guys who are like everyone at different levels but like the people that painted on this one wall that day like if you if you had them all in a show now it would be crazy like the lineup of artists on it yeah and it was they all just came and brought their own paint and painted because it was it's the same as the music thing like no one was buying that shit no one yeah cared. they were like oh we get the paint and we it was don't. just about doing it yeah they're like oh yeah. we get to paint on a wall that's free okay yeah. sweet yeah cool that's like, so sick that's rad yeah it was really cool. So it's, I'm, I'm like totally kind of recapping it all. I kind of think, shit, man, like that's a cool, like I've been really lucky to be at these sort of opening points of these kind of scenes in my life. Yeah. Like, and they it worked out timing wise. Like, yeah, perfectly. but they weren't, you know, before that they were someone else's scene too. Like, yeah, I, that just at the time it opened up in my life just happened to be a, a bit of a change, a period of change. Yeah. Like there's no denying that 2003 hardcore versus now is very different world Mm. um and much more and it wasn't like it's not like in 2003 it was uh looked down upon or anything it was just like smaller and weird yeah but now it's so you know amity has like five songs in the hottest 100 like yeah that sort of shit just wouldn't have happened back then and same with the street art stuff like yeah now like street art is so safe and whatever but back then it's a part of popular culture yeah totally yeah. and it's you know it's it's a commodity um, yeah. but back then they were like oh well there's the there's the guys doing their thing on that wall and whatever you know it was like a little afterthought in the youth week right like yeah. the bigger attraction was the pirate ship jumping castle you know like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so yeah, that was, that was really cool so that was like helping to organise that and then moving the studio we kind of just became friends and yeah so it's rad and I'm in there well at the moment I'm not but I'm in there every day and that's my office like I built a little I built a little house inside yeah, the studio yeah so sick yeah you saw in the video so yeah. like I built the little shack and it's my little space and I go in and I have my workshop so I can build stuff I can draw stuff mm. I can do computer stuff and it's just sort of yeah it's really cool and it's right around the corner from my house right around the corner from the restaurant yeah it's all in the one area it's yeah it's really cool I'm stoked on the way it's set up I just wish that we could afford a house in that area because it's so expensive. <laughs> so we just rent there now, but yeah, I'm, you know, we look at places, I'm like, oh man, we could totally buy a house yeah. in somewhere further out. Yeah. And I'm like, and I would spend all my time in the car. Yeah. like Getting to and from it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's whatever. All right. I'm going to pause this for a sec so I can go to the toilet. Yeah. I just took a piss. So did Callum. Now we're back. Back. I just ate some like lukewarm fish and chips I as two, well I had two of them as well not fish just chips but I, 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 when I always I'm like oh I love fish and chips we go do you eat fish like 
No, I just I just get chips and potato cakes. So I just get potato, <laughs> like well, massive potato. This works into a perfect segue about your restaurant. Oh right, okay, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, fuck, I wish we had a fish and chip shop. That'd be yeah. sick. Um, all right, so run me through. He- he- well, well, I okay. guess I can't. I, it's sort of it goes. It's not with, yours entirely. Well, no, yeah, it's not mine entirely. And uh, all right, I need to explain. Yes, go I back. I need to explain my partner first. So, go on. Um, uh, let me think. Well, Have you arguably met through music as well? I did. I met her at a sugar show. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, I'll explain that. Okay. I, uh, so I left her nightmare. I went and did that Atticus job. Mm-hmm. Where it went for about six months and then it was done. I left... Uh, I joined Miles Away Yep And I was playing With them And I was like Alright I'm gonna do music again Like touring stuff And Just try to be Freelance design Like I yep. hadn't really just been like This is what I do Before mm-hmm. So I was like I'm just gonna try and do jobs See what I can get done Yeah And so I was doing design stuff But Not so much of it So I was also doing Driving jobs For tours and stuff Right So through Um through Bromwen and through Chani and like Nigel and different different stuff so I think it was maybe the first job I'd done for Chani who I've been friends with for years but she's intimidating as a boss you okay. know um, and so I had to she's like my sugar's coming out I need a driver blah 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 okay cool yep. so she's like you gotta pick up the van in South Melbourne I'm like no worries so I go there they're like yeah here's the van it's got no seats in it and I'm like holy shit I don't want to mess this up. Like, yeah. I'm like, look, the, I, I'm like, my sugar's like a five piece band. Like, I was like, we need a, I need a 12 seater. It's got to be a 12 seater. Yeah. Oh, we don't have any. She like eventually finds it. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm like, sorted that. Got the 12 seater. Rock up to the airport. I'm like, they're, they're already out on the footpath. Yeah. There's a 12 seater there. All the band's getting into it. And I look and there's a mountain of gear. Like, yeah. so much gear. It's insane. <laughs> and they've got, because the drummer plays like two kick drums. Yeah, it's like yeah. Full, yeah. It's insane, yeah. Yeah. So, Chani looks at me and is like, what's going on? And I'm yeah. like, got the van for the band? Uh, yeah. And she's like, you're the cargo. Like, you, you're backline. And I was like, oh, fuck. So, yeah. I'm like, I'm done. She's going to find me right on the spot. But thankfully, she took some pity on me, I guess. Yeah. But, so, somehow she sorted it. And the band, she just like, left... Like sent the band to the hotel in the in the first twelve seater, yeah, and I think sent someone to get a taxi to get the other van and switch them back. It was all a big mess. So I'm like at the metro, and I've now like got the cargo van. I'm doing everything I can to try and be the runner and be helpful because I was like, man, I blew it. Like totally blew it. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, this is bad. But um, so doing that and Bromwen, who I talked about earlier, who is just in in the same do I need to explain people no, as I'm anecdoting this no. so she anyway so she texts me and she's like hey um, are you working at my sugar show can you get us on the door or can you you know talk to Chani or whatever and get us on the door my friend is coming from the states and um, I want to go yeah and I was like yeah cool and she turned up with Mo mm-hmm. who is now my fiance yes um, she knew her from having travelled to America and met her I guess I'm not mm-hmm. sure how how they first met but they've been friends for a few years yep. and Mo was out in Australia on business and didn't know anyone but yep. except Bronwyn and was like hey I've got to come out here on business um, she works for her family 
and they did like skincare and hair care stuff. So she's okay. meeting some company out here. And Bronwyn's like, yeah, come stay with me and stay for a li- bit longer and like see some Australia stuff. So we get there. Uh, they, she brings her to the show and Mo's like so jet lagged straight off the plane mm-hmm. from America first time. And I was just super nervous that I'd messed up so bad with this van. Yeah. She's like, hey, Kellen, this is Mo. I was like, hi, how are you? Yeah, cool. Yeah, nice to meet you. And then that was it. Like, yeah. pretty much that. And then later on, I went out and saw them again in the crowd. And she's like, well, Callan doesn't have a job. It's like, he, he just does like his own stuff. So, and this is Bronwyn saying this, like mm. she was about to start working at Stomp because they started doing touring stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, you, maybe you can show Mo around. She's got a day off like tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, here's my number. Like didn't think anything of it. Wasn't, wasn't even paying attention. It was just like this yeah. girl, this friend of Bronwyn's. Okay, cool. Um, and then, yeah, we just hung out that week and then basically hung out like every day while she was here and it kind of just went from there. And then six months later, I went to America to tour with a band called Ceremony yep. and their tour started in San Diego and went all the way up the coast to Seattle, which is where Mo's from. I got to Seattle and the next day we were dating. Like, so yep. we, in the six months when, when I first met her and she left, we spoke like pretty much every day on the computer Long story short, so that all leads to that. Now we're dating, so we date long distance for like a year and a half. Yeah. And I'm back here. She came out for Christmas. I went there for Thanksgiving. Like, and because I was freelance travel guy, I was like, whatever, this is cool. Like, I yeah. can just do this. And then at some point, I was like, no, nah, this is serious. And I need to figure you this need to out. So, into it, yeah. Yeah. So I actually got a, I got sponsored by her family's company to go work there as they needed like a designer person in the in the company so yeah uh which is very convenient uh, <laughs> so 2010 i moved to seattle um we lived together there for two years which was my visa mm-hmm. and then we were you know looking at what to do whether we renew my visa or and stay or whatever and we kind of talked about it and we we're like let's let's go to australia and try that out you know yep. um so we came back and um Three weeks in, Mo was like, I'm never going to get a job. And like three weeks and one day in, she got a job. <laughs> yeah. And that was managing a new place that was going to open up called the People's Market, which was in Collingwood. It was yes. like an outdoor event space thing. Very cool. Very cool. Like very hipster kind of Fitzroy <laughs> vibe. Yeah. Um, but amazing summer. Like the people that ran it, we didn't get along with them very well. But the people we met through that place and the, the, the time that we had in the five months that it was open was mm-hmm. great and oh it was a cool place yeah it was really cool and Mo met so many people that because when we first moved here everyone she met was through me because yeah. you know that's how it kind of happened and uh, she's like once that started going on we'd be like walking down the street together and people were like hey 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 I was like who the hell's that I was like yeah. I've been here my whole life I don't know who that is <laughs> she's like oh that guy uh, he runs this bagel company and they got right. a stall at the market and they got this there so she met all these people and one of those people was uh, this woman Shannon mm-hmm. who was Mo wanted to do most vegan has been since she was 16 mm-hmm. I'm vegetarian um, and I have been since just before I met her mm-hmm. but then once we met that was like something that we hit it off with mm-hmm. uh, and then she wanted to have a vegan stand at the, as a food truck option there right and our friend Milne was doing a cafe called the Mercy Seat in Collingwood, yep. um, which is in the 99 Problems, same thing. It was. And she called him up and was like, hey, do you want to 
do a food truck there and he's like, oh, I couldn't do it, but Shannon is the cook at the Gasso and she's going to leave. Yeah. Um, and she does great vegan food. Mm-hmm. And so Mo's like, perfect. So they opened up this food truck called South mm-hmm. and it ran for the People's Market period. And we just all became really good friends and Mo and her, we were at Shannon's house and she was making like all this stuff, like trying out recipes. And Mo was like, we should do our own rest- like restaurant. You work for... Shannon had worked at the East Brunswick Club and the Gasometer and all these different places. All the pl- pubs that were doing vegan yeah. stuff. And yeah. she was the one that brought the vegan yeah, stuff and killed it. But he was always working for someone else. Mm-hmm. And Mo's like, I can organize, do businessy stuff. You can do food stuff. Together we can like do concept stuff. Callum can do design and kind of branding Marketing stuff. And yeah, stuff. and that sort of stuff. Um <clears throat> And we just kind of got talking about it. And we're like, yeah, that'd be cool. And uh, we, that was, it was actually Mo's birthday. Shannon made a dessert or something. And Mo was like, this is insane. Like we should totally open a restaurant. And then Mo's next birthday was in the restaurant. Yeah, right. Crazy. So like. That's mental. Yeah. So in a year. It um, went from concept to creation. Yeah. But in that time, so they were like, we should open our restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And then Shannon went and got a job at the Sweetwater Inn and was mm-hmm. the chef there and like got all these awards for the vegan food over there, wow. which is really good. Mo got a job um, working for Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> and she did like event organization stuff for them. Yeah. So she worked for Ellen and met people there, which led to her working on Fashion Week and then eventually working at Channel 7 and as like a contestant's helper on Million Dollar Minute. Okay. And then within a week got moved around and became the questions producer assistant. Wow. And then questions producer pretty much. And so she was writing quiz questions for the Million Dollar Minute <laughs> about like Australia. Like she'd be like, you know, Barry Humphreys was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, you don't, how do you even know who that is? Yeah, like, yeah. And she then she'd be like, who's Norman Gunston? And I'm like, well, yeah. it's this guy. And so it was so weird, but like just a testament to her, like coming here and just jumping in. Like, yeah, yeah. that's Diving head first. Yeah, like, I can't imagine Australian being like, shit. I'm going to move to America and just work at NBC. Yeah, or yeah. Like whatever, you know, like... Yeah. So, yeah, the then the restaurant thing, um, Shannon spotted this place on Brunswick Street and called us up and was like, I found a place. I worked there 11 years ago when I was an apprentice. And yeah, it right. was a Latin restaurant or whatever. And it's really cool, but it needs a lot of work. And then we went and looked at it, got the contracts together, and they were like, well, if we sign, we like quit our jobs now and go for it. And I was like, oh, I still don't have a job. So Perfect. let's just go for it. Uh, no, so they, like, I, I don't have any history in food or restaurants or anything like that. I work yeah. at Hoyt's instead of popcorn. But <laughs> like, it's a very close. Mo, yeah. Mo was a, um, a waitress and then a floor manager at Red Bamboo in New York, which is mm-hmm. like a famous vegan yeah. spot. And Shannon obviously has a big history in food. Um, and Mo was a waitress when she was 12. Like, when she was underage, she worked at, like, a local restaurant in her town in, yeah, in right. Washington. So, it's like, they both had totally have it dialed on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, I was like, if we're going to do it, like, I'll just, whatever you need, I'll make it happen that I can. Like, things that I can do. Yeah. So, the restaurant really became, like, a weird learning ground for me to be, I don't know, like, a, a sort of carpenter in some well, yeah, ways. That's, and, what, that's what I was going to say. Like, it seems like... Like I remember, I remember seeing you when you were setting up the restaurant. Yeah, in my sweet was, tradie outfit. Yeah, yeah, and I was going to get tattooed, and you were just riding your bike. Yeah, and you were like, "Hey," and I was, "Oh, yeah, how you going?" And you were like covered in paint and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Most days I am. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, 
And I remember talking to you at the time, and I was like, I had no idea he knew how to build things. Well, <laughs> like I didn't either. Shit. But like, <laughs> it was it's just a necessity thing. Like, yeah, yeah. that shit costs a lot of money getting shit Fucking built, earth. and like, and at the same time, you find a builder, fine, but find one that has creative ideas of how to do things, yeah. or like, you know, thinks outside the box is difficult because it's a very technical trade. So the creativity and the technicality doesn't always go hand in hand. Like, yeah. um. So we really wanted to put our touch on this place, not just a sign, but like the feel of the whole thing. So, well, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, I would definitely say we should plug it. We haven't said the name, Smith and Daughters. Yeah, right. Look up the shit. So it looks insane on the inside. Like it's man, fantastic. Well, the building, you know, it's the pub was built eighteen ninety three. Yeah, it was the Ballarat Family Hotel. Yeah, and then it went through like a whole bunch of changes in that time, and it was, uh, you know, through the depression. They basically blocked off the whole front room. The restaurant that you dine in now was just a little walk off the street bar, like yeah, right. a speakeasy. Yeah. And all the back area was like, apparently, it was like laundry. Like, you know, people stirring big tubs of laundry and Jesus. like, there was, you know, 50 people living there and shit. Cause yeah, no one, crazy. Because you know, Fitzroy was not cool. It was like working. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, was like, like, yeah. Uh, a lower class area. Totally. For a while, yeah. You know, just like the workers' cottages around there that sell for 1.2 million had workers in them that earn a dollar a year. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and there's no parking because no one had cars around horses. Like, yeah. <laughs> so this rest, this cat, the, the building is beautiful and it was, you know, three story building. It would have been like a grand old building on the street and it still is. But mm-hmm. the bluestone and stuff, we wanted to, you know, kind of preserve that the play, the people in there before it had just kind of built a restaurant inside this building but hadn't embraced what it was right so we so opened, how long had it been empty in uh, between the last place the last Smith people that had it had had it for about 10 years oh it had been de los santos is what it was called and it had been that for like 10 years but yeah. it had three owners okay. like over time and was it vacant for very long between uh, it was empty for about four months okay um but before that they were only opening like two days a week or like uh, it was okay. it kind of like slowly so been on its way out apparently it was like some older people and their kids just like we don't want to take it over and it right. just kind of petered out so um but yeah it was it was in the depression they boxed it off and then it became later on you know it kind of opened up again and then in the 60s it became taken over by students from maybe melbourne or rmit and it became like a boarding house kind of thing okay and then they painted a big hand on the side with a joint and it said Marijuana House and it was called Marijuana House and it was wow. the the restaurant that you sit in now was basically like an open mic beat poetry performance space Jesus. like I don't know orgy center or whatever yeah, yeah. and um, people would come and do you know there'd be all kinds of shit going on they're yeah. like arty yeah so and then people lived upstairs and it was all like student housing and that was in the 60s all the way through till the 80s and then it became a restaurant again. Yeah, right. But in that period, um, so we had a guy deliver, he was delivering like something when we were building fruit or something, I can't remember. And he's like, ah, the old marijuana house. And I was like, <laughs> you know about this? And he's like, ah, oh, I didn't always deliver fruit, mate. And I was oh, like, I ah, and he's like, yeah, he's like, um, Bob Marley stayed here for like a week. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, Bob Marley toured Australia. And he's like, that was, you know, back when touring Australia for Bob Marley, you know, it wasn't yeah. like there was some big you know, company. Yeah, yeah. It would have been some guy who was like, wrote him a telegram, like, dear Bob, please come. <laughs> come to Marijuana we, House. We have weed. We live <laughs> in Marijuana House. Like, so, yeah. they t- the Bob Marley Way's tour and then they like, stay on at Marijuana House for like a week and that guy is delivering weed to the 
the building. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I delivered like an ounce every other day. Like, That's fucking crazy. I know, right? So cool. And so after that, it became restaurants again. And then, yeah. And now we have it. We have, uh, yeah. And we, we know the guy who owns the building. We met him. He only bought it like, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but he's been vegetarian for 25 years. Wow. He's only young. He's maybe 40. Um, yeah. But he basically, like, the real estate agent, when we were trying to get it, was like, oh, you guys better sign. Like, other people are trying to get it. And we're like, ah, oh, it's real estate agent talk. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, but we didn't know. We were, like, trying to like, call their bluff. He's like, you know, there's some other people and they're willing to pay more, and but the owner is interested in your proposal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're like, ah, oh, whatever. And then we get it and we open and we meet the owner. And he's like, He's like, yeah, so these guys wanted to open like a barbecue rib shack or whatever. Yeah. And um, they were willing to pay a bit more. He's like, but I've been vegetarian for 20 years and I really oh, like cool. what you want to do and I think that it's right for the space. Yeah, and, rad. That's great. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I'd, I'd love to know that something that I own houses, something that's doing good. Like, we're, we're a vegan restaurant, but we're not we're not really pushing an agenda. We're pushing no, good food. Like, yeah. When, I, would, I would argue that, I mean, a lot of people that I know... Go to that. Go to your restaurant and don't realize that it's a vegan restaurant oh, until well, they're there. Well, we kind of like, estimate that like about seventy percent of our clientele aren't vegetarian at all, and well, I'm the not, percentage and of I've them been that, there quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, definitely, there's been people in who have no idea at all and leave, going, "Oh, the chorizo. Oh, I've got the mm. meat sweats. Like, yeah, cool, man. Like, yeah. whatever, whatever you need. But the thing, like, when people go blah blah blah, and it's vegan, like, I feel like that's kind of redundant. It's like being like. I had this spaghetti. It was great, and it was amazing. And it's Italian. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just it's just food it's that's food, good. Yeah. It's yeah. not yet. So that's why it's called Smith and Daughters. It's very like generic. We didn't want it to be anything like the happiness and godliness sunflower cafe yes. or something like, or vegan alternate blah blah blah. Like, we're like that's everything we don't like about that thing, and that that's yeah. what closes people's barriers down. Like. My, I agree. My dad's like tradie mate who has been to the restaurant and is like an actual duck hunter. Like he's a he's yeah, a hunter. Sure. He came and was like, "I'm converted. It's so good. It's bloody great." Yeah. But if it was called like the Vegan Haven, yeah, he'd be like, "It would oh, turn him off." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Am I going to do yoga after this?" Like you know. Yeah. And that's it's it's simple kind of it's simple thinking, but the fact is like a lot well, of people are very close minded. They're habitual. So and the realistic thing is like no matter what you're doing for whatever purpose, whether it's an ethical purpose or whether it's a business purpose, yeah. at the end of the day, there's three of you guys, essentially, mm. that are involved with this thing. Yeah. And you need to try and make it work the best you can. Totally. And the best way, I would assume, as I can see that you've done it, yeah. is making it work that you're not... Uh, and You know, I wouldn't say that this is true of every vegan restaurant or vegetarian yeah. restaurant, but you're not creating a space that is in any way going to shun anyone. Yeah. You're creating something that's quite welcoming. Like, people get people get defensive because they feel judged. Like, yeah. you know, if it's the big sign that says like, no animal was harmed in the yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, that's great. And like, I, I enjoy knowing that. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's people who are like, oh, well, what? So like, just because I ate eggs and bacon yesterday, like, am I a bad person? It's yeah. like, we're not here to tell you. Like, whatever, that's your problem to deal with like it's just good food so the whole idea of it was was just that and shannon's food is is really good and it's like 
amazing. It's comfort food, but she also does like we have a lot of salads and stuff. Mm-hmm. Vegan can often be contested as like the healthy option. Like you can eat like a pig as a vegan yeah. too. Like totally, it's 100%. not. And if you want to do that at our place, we got deep fried shit. Like yeah, you yeah. can do that too. But um, yeah, it's just it's just good food. So and it's a business, you know. We're not. Yeah. You know, it's not a not for profit. Like no. So making it marketable, making it making it the place that you know the awkward vegan daughter of like the big yobbo dad who mm. like doesn't want to eat a cardboard tofu or whatever right she brings him in and he's like holy shit these flavors are crazy mm. that's that's really cool that we can offer that and yeah know, for sure um being that Moe is vegan her parents are super supportive of of her being vegan and have been forever but mm. you know a lot of people's parents are a bit like oh it's a phase you know yeah and they're like begrudgingly go to like some weird little Thai restaurant where they're like, oh, I don't know about this, but yeah. we've made something that's really um, palatable to everyone. I would agree yeah. 100%. And, you know, every, like, people go, oh, you know, it's funny, people talk about the hipster, yuppie, whatever of Fitzroy, and it's like, that's all good. We're, we're still a business, and yes, like, it's it's targeted. We didn't open it in Frankston because yeah. we knew that there wouldn't be a market. No, there. no, no, exactly. But you we know. saw a gap in the market there. And For so, sure. Um, but at the same time, like every meal we make is actually helping to not contribute to that. If, yeah. that, if that's your, if that's your main focus is like the problem is meat, then well, sweet. Every meal we do is not a problem then. So, yeah. but you know, none of that, the judgmental part of it is left out. It's like, yeah, just come and no, enjoy. I think that's really a really good element yeah. to so it. So the, the whole package though, is that, you know, it's, I, um, we kind of discuss my role in it, but the girls are the heart of the business. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, for um, sure. And they, it's amazing, like watching what they've done with the place and it's just, um, to, to operate on such a scale, I mean, we have like, you know, nearly 30 staff and like yeah. we provide, you know, that's a huge responsibility for, for all yeah. of us to shoulder. Like, but at the same time, it's so cool. We have, you know, our staff are our friends and the, the unit, the kind of family unit of it is so cool that it's like, Oh, you are like um, a budding like actor screenwriter, mm-hmm. and you work for us behind the bar. And like the wage we pay you allows you to like work on your thing. And you're in a band, and you just took a week off to tour. Yeah, and like you know whatever, like that's awesome to be yeah. to, for them not have to work in like some shitty warehouse somewhere where they're packing boxes, which is what I did when I was like trying yeah. to find my way. It's cool, like to be you know it's funny, it's weird it sort of hit us that we're like in that next realm now. Like we're yeah. like the adults, you know? Yeah. yeah like we have people sure. that work for us that are like 20 and I'm like, yeah. they still make people that young? Like <laughs> what? I didn't know. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, um, it's weird. So now we're doing, it just got announced today actually on broadsheet. Um, the second location. Yep. Which is, uh, which is, a, let me say a fantastic achievement for everyone involved that in this short time frame that that's managed to occur yeah, thank it's you it's yeah it's really i mean it's it's a year we we signed the lease on that place a year after we signed the lease on the first one that's crazy literally like, almost to the day yeah um but sorry going this second place is not a restaurant it's <clears throat> a it's a deli so it's called smith and deli mm-hmm. and it's all takeaway because the yeah. current restaurant is like I wouldn't say fine dining, but it's like... It's a, it's a, rest, yeah, it's yeah, it's a like proper a, restaurant. It's a sit it's down... I mean, it's kind of noisy because there's a lot of people in there, yeah, but... That's good. It's a sit, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, this is like open in the morning, shuts at like seven at night, mm-hmm. and you can go there in the morning, you can get a bagel sandwich and a coffee, 
You can come in at 11 and get a pastry snack. You can come in at lunchtime and get a big like pastrami sandwich and a New York style like Jewish knish. Like yep. all these foods that are... It's a very kind of New York vibe. I hate using that word all the time because it's like, it's like when you see warehouse conversion loft. It's right. like, no, it's just a loft <laughs> that has like one beam in the ceiling or like right. a shitty pipe that you couldn't get rid of. But it's a style that yeah. goes hand in hand it's, with it's it. It's a relative style, but like Mo is um, half Jewish. Right. And Shannon has like a a real obsession with the Jewish food because it's this kind of, it's this sort of grandma food. It's like yeah. quite heavy and comforting. Sure. But then she also has always wanted to make these very non-vegetarian thing, non-vegan things vegan. So like she made meat pies the other day, like beef yeah. bourguignon meat pies, like chunky beef steak, like red yeah. wine sauce in it. And it, they're amazing. So this place is really like uh, a testing ground, like a we can kind of do whatever we want in there. At the other place, it's a Latin themed restaurant. Like sure. the, the, the food is not going to change and people really like some of the stuff, the menu changes slightly, but that has its its vibe. This place is like, it can be whatever we want. So right. like, if she decides I'm making pizza, yeah, we got pizzas, you know? So okay. um, that's the whole idea. And it's... So it gives her a bit more room to yeah, experiment with and it, food as well. Then. And the whole idea is that it's a, a bit of a one-stop, because we live in the neighborhood and we know what it's like to live there. And mm-hmm. we, you know, there's a Safeway and a Coles and that's great. But if you're at work all day, not at a restaurant, somewhere else, mm-hmm. you're like... I can't be bothered eating out, yeah. but I can't be bothered going to Coles and like getting stuff to make a meal. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have pre-prepared meals that you take home and make, or you go like, oh, I've still got, you could say, I've still got that T-bone steak at home, whatever. I'm going to get some of that vegan coleslaw and the vegan yeah, yeah. whatever. Well, you wouldn't even say that. You'd just say from Smith & Deli. Yeah. So it's like, you can pick up elements of your meal, you can pick up your whole meal, you can pick up stuff to put in the freezer and store for later. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to have like a fresh, little smaller fresh produce section, which is like the stuff that we use to make our food, you could buy as well. Like, sure. It's not like there's any magic secret ingredient to it, but it's no, like yeah. when you're on your way home, you're like, oh, and I did need to get a couple of tomatoes for my lunch tomorrow or whatever. Like yeah. they're there. Um, yeah. And then there's like a whole other realm, which will come later, but that's sort of bringing some of our products to market. Um, mm-hmm. the things that are in the restaurant that are really popular like the the queso dip and you know different sauce hot sauce and different yeah. stuff like bringing that to a packaged format where you can it's a way like, to sell it outside of the restaurant yeah, yeah. it's like the Nando's sauce you know Dude. buy the buy the you buy it from the IGA around you the buy the three pack from Target <laughs> yeah. and it comes in a little wooden crate <laughs> so yeah it's 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 an expansion um, of the current restaurant in that so that's the deli in the front. The back of the building is a commercial kitchen, which we're we're building right now. Like I've been yeah. there all day today. Um, yeah, for sure. So that's that is going to service the restaurant as well. And it's it's like we have a big walk-in cool room. It's storage for stuff. Okay. The current restaurant is pretty tight because it's you know it's built in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. It's not like the that. kitchen's not very big. From not very big at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and the storage is an issue. And this place is right around the corner. Like it's I think it's one hundred and sixty meters or something. Okay. So. People were like, oh, you're opening a second restaurant, rad. And they're like, it's the same place pretty much. It's like, yeah, but it's different. It's not a restaurant. And also it is a kitchen that services both. Yeah, for sure. Not like when you order your meal, it gets carried across the road on a plate. (laughs) But it's the bulk production of stuff in the daytime. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that's the plan. And hoping to open 
by the end of April, um, which we're on track for. Yeah. And then we'll just see how it goes, I guess. Yeah. So once this is built, I can uh, take a bit of time to do some other jobs that I've been neglecting. Yeah. Um, so has... Um, have you had quite a hand in the sort of the design and the graphic things that are going to go in hand with the new restaurant? Totally. As well? Like the, the fit out, I mean, everything we do in that sense is like a group discussion and decision. Yeah, obviously. But there's also a certain amount of functionality that has to be met. Like Shannon had her, what she needed in the kitchen. Like we've, it's, it's big. So we're like, let's go hard. Like build the kitchen you need, like build your dream yes. kitchen kind of thing. So it's like got a lot of space, but it also has functional space. It's not just grand for the sake of it. It's like we can produce more here. We can fit more here. Mm -hmm. And then the front section, which is the deli, although it is in that theme of the New York deli, um, it's our own sort of take on that. And it has sort of visual cues that relate to the restaurant. um, Okay. Yeah. Recycled timber and stuff. And it's sort of bringing that in. So we all plan that out together and then... I guess that's my what I can contribute to the business is really the um, the vision of that stuff, but actually making it happen. Because yeah. you can Pinterest all day long, yeah. but <laughs> figuring out how to... Yeah, physically creating it. Yeah, finding yeah. A, a warehouse window out of a factory that was getting knocked down to like put in a ute and transport to yeah. Melbourne and then like have it installed and like have this, you know, 70-year-old window in the space, like... It doesn't just ha- you don't just tell the builder yeah put a window in like yeah yeah we selected stuff and we've done things so it's a cool little warehouse building um, we have yeah we've done a lot of work to it and it's, it, we still are continuing to but it's gonna have a really cool feel and it's it's in a side street it's not on the main drag it's not like a I like that it's like a little hidden gem you kind mm-hmm. of um, there is things like that around there but you know I think it'd be really cool if you li- there's a lot of apartment buildings if you lived up the street. Yeah. And you get home from work and you're like, ah, oh, I can't be able to go into Coles or whatever. Like, it's literally just this little thing on the corner and you could go there and grab some stuff. I, I don't know. I think it's it'd be really... It's very different. There's nothing like it in the neighborhood. Yeah. No, um, I mean, sounds great. Yeah. So, it's exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. Sounds like an awesome extension to of the the previous business, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's... um. Uh, well, strike while the iron's hot, you know. It's like yeah, it's going well. Um, May as well move off that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it's and people are enjoying what we're doing, so we're just providing more ways for people to get involved with that, I guess. So, yeah, so that's that. So that's been that's been our lives for a while. I mean, it's only just come out, but it's been you know we saw making for quite. We've a had it since time. January. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's pretty full on. But the restaurant's still really busy, and that's cool. Um, we, Mo and I, both kind of have obviously talked at length. We have a very similar work ethic. She, she's a harder worker than I am for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's like now's the time. Like, yeah, we just got to do it. Like, uh, well, you've got you've go got the hard. opportunity. You know? Yeah, or well, the opportunity. And also, it's like uh, I don't want to work this hard when I'm like forty yeah. five. I, yeah. I say forty, but I'm thirty. So shit. <laughs> Like I've the you got stu- plenty of time. well the stu- that little house in the studio we've got a ten year lease on that place so or yeah. fifteen actually so potentially I could be like forty five year old man in a little shack drawing pictures <laughs> for money and be yeah. yeah so that's kind of where we're at um, and then I mean I carry on my own business as outside of the restaurant my mm-hmm. contr- contribution to the restaurant is there's always something kind of day to day because you know 
a door handle is broken here or the website needs something here or whatever. Yeah. Um, or we're designing, like right now I'm designing packaging for the new deli, like yeah. wrappers and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I maintain my own business outside of that. So mm. that's good. So doing that some of that tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. Good yeah. All right. That's probably a mad place to... Oh, try and fully mad. Turn it down. I reckon just cut it off yeah. um, at J Bone and, <laughs> and let the, you know yeah. the people take it. From well, it. then I'll stop. People Google search Hypnocide <laughs> Werribee Vault. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that'll be it. All right. Someone's I... gonna someone's gonna know that person or like Dude. know someone or be like, my cousin was in that band. He played. The... I can't wait for this to carry on to that. Yeah, point. he was the. The second DJ. Oh my god. He was a smoke machine operator. That's the essential plan for this podcast, is that at some point, people of who knew people who knew people hear it and go, Hey, someone's talking about me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, he'd be like, that blood duster gig that he was talking about, I was the guy that like threw his own shit or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Alright, on all the other ones, I've got everyone to give me a top five of something. Oh yeah, so my top five things about Canberra. Yes, no. I uh, do no. not want you to no. tell me that. Jake because... Rolf, no. Well, he's good. Yeah, well, he's no camper there. No. Um, give me, give me a top five punk album covers. Oh shit! Okay, punk album covers, top five, and a, a reason why. Yeah. Okay. Why you would like them? Start from five if you like. Well, I won't do them in order because okay, don't I, do them. Because I, I'll probably think of something good along the way and then okay. be like, oh. Um, well, springing to mind is, uh, no effects, the longest line EP. Mm-hmm. I think it's in it called the longest line EP. I don't know what it is, but it's like illustration fold out vinyl. I have it on vinyl. Um, actually Craig gave it to me at some show sometime. And I yeah. was like, cause he's like, Oh, we talked about how good the graphic is. And it's basically a drawing of a line of people. And it's like a mad magazine style black and white illustration. And it's like, hippie guy, punk guy, yeah. fat guy, and then like girl in a bikini and then like a bearded lady or whatever. And it's like, and they've all got different shit. And then the band is kind of spread throughout. Okay. And you're like, oh, that's El fan, whatever. And I photocopied the CD booklet in high, in high school, like early high school. Yeah. Grade eight, maybe. I borrowed it off a guy called Ben Stusser. I, I remember the last name. <laughs> and then I photocopied it up to A3 on a... Uh, someone had rorted the photocopy card system and I had a card that had a thousand dollars credit on it. And so I would just, I was like photocopying everything. So I blew it up to A3 and was coloring them in and selling them on the bus to other people. So I was like, that was like a little business that I had. So that, that no effects, longest line, black and white illustration. Amazing. Really good. There's a good reason why. Um, That's a great reason. Yeah. Uh, Let me think. Doesn't just have to be punk. No, well, we let's not limit it. Yeah, well, you know, um, in that case, head PE. No, uh, <laughs> um, crazy town. <laughs> that was actually quite a good cover in, in its time. She had the lollipop picked out. It was like, yeah, it was quite cool. Worked out well. Uh, so shit. Um, well, I'd have to say, Kiss Alive too, because yeah. it just fucking blew my mind when I saw it, and it was, I don't know, like something about it just really. The ladder. I think I have Kiss Live. I don't know if I've got a live two or one. It's tiny it's, little photos. They're nothing. Yeah, it just says just Kiss little, Alive yeah, and then there's just the four little photos. But I remember, it's and it's so cliche, like, oh, and I saw Gene Simmons covered in blood and he mm. was like the devil. And I was like, but I There's actually, a reason why that's cliche though. Yeah. Because it, it's fucking awesome. I had that feeling and I was like, 
whoa. And then I, I asked my cousin, I was like, have you heard about Kiss? And he's like 10 years old. And he's like, <laughs> man, they toured when I was a little kid. Like yeah. there was pictures in the paper. I had them stuck on the wall. And I was like, have you still got them? Like, <laughs> great. I'm like, the drummer, he's different now. He's, he looks like a fox. It's weird. <laughs> like, no, the cat's back, but he's fatter. I don't know. Um, That's great. Yeah, so... Kiss alive too, too for sure. Um, hmm. Was there any that informed your style of graphic design when you started doing album covers? Well, I hate doing album covers. That's the oh thing. really? Yeah, okay. I, it's such. A, and I did your album covers. So that, you did. Yeah, so that, <laughs> so that you think we were mates. So I'm like on the other end of the email, like shit. Um, no, I just I don't like the format. It's too like limited and very square. Like, okay. but at the same time. I get to design skateboards now and I thought that would be the best show in the world and it's terrible. Like, it's a bad shape yes. to work on. So, I don't know. I'm just... I can't be pleased. Um, so, well, on the no effects kind of theme, um, we're talking about music. You were like, I don't want my parents to know I'm listening to this. Yeah. Like, S&M Airlines by no effects is mm-hmm. like a bondage girl like riding a yeah. plane. It's like airbrush art. It's kind of a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of looks like that guy Coop or something. I don't know. Yeah. But... I remember looking at it and being like, ooh, it's kind of full on. Like, yeah. she's got like this. a whip and shit. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. And then there's like just a bunch of fart jokes and dick jokes yeah. on the record. Like, I had the same know. thing with the cunt record, Bad Blood. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was probably a bit more direct, that one. But <laughs> porn, porn store Stiffy, it. though, I do remember yeah. that clip playing double kick on roller skates. One of them's one of those guys in my band. Yeah, amazing. It's crazy. Um record covers what have I got I got three there you got three um, two no effects one kiss yeah I'm two, having two no effects in this is dumb but anyway no, that's okay um, well I mean I'm actually this is going to be controversial well, maybe not because who gives a shit but I'm not particularly a Converge fan I really like the drumming because it's insane if you're a drummer you do yeah but um, like Jane Jane Doe as an image is insane like yeah, that's crazy. like the Nike tick of metal hardcore it is 100% like, it's so recognizable congratulations yeah. you nailed it <laughs> like you can, your job's done so that's good yeah. um, so I'd have to say that as far as in that sort of genre of things I'm glad that it feels like hardcore and whatever records have moved away from well they just go in cycles anyway but like around that time the reason that record was so amazing is because every other record was like blood splutter and a close up photo of like some kind of like mafia-esque like yeah. suit a knife or something a knife or like a gun a boxing or... wrap or yeah, something yeah. like it was just so whatever yeah and um and then just like destroyed font with speckled blood on it and shit like just so boring mm. um but having said that that's what the Hand Up record looks like that I did the cover <laughs> for um, well we can see your influences from that yeah yeah um and on the same tip actually probably do it as far as my style goes, um, the Against Me New Wave record cover as the yeah, Tiger Head. It's great. Like that sort of stuff is classic and I just think that when people when people nail it, it's great. When you don't get it it just like it's, disappears. Yeah. <laughs> but that is such a cool um, such a cool logo and he had that tattooed on him and now she, Laura Jane, has like a black arm and it's all actually gone. Yeah. I think the lower part of her arm's black. But I remember seeing that because I think, I mean, that's a whole other conversation I'll go, but that's just such an amazing, awesome thing that happened in mm. in the public eye. But I saw that, that she had had that tattoo covered and I was like, oh, no, 
love that one. That's so, so good. Is. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That tiger head is just so rad. And I feel like, uh, not to, it's not about me, but I did the Violent Soho blazon skull design, yes. yeah. which at the time was a total throwaway. Like, uh, this is it was for a, a seven inch or something for them. Yeah, and it's totally got it. Like, I wish I got a per unit price. Like, it built a life that. of its own. Yeah, but it's like. There's like 20 people with that tattooed on them and people insane, like, yeah. I see it all the time and I see people wearing that shirt. I mean, this is not a new feeling, but being like, you and I would never be friends <laughs> in the world. Like yeah. we are so not the same, but I drew that in yeah. my little shack. No, actually yeah. I drew that in Seattle, I think. But um, yeah, it's like, I think it's cool that, that, Things can take on a life there, and the Jane Doe is very much like that. I think yeah. that the Against Me Cat. Um, I'll probably go away and think about this and be like, "Oh my god, here's five records, bang, bang, bang." Right, but but yeah, on the spot, that's good. On the spot, yeah, and um, probably like the uh, the Top Gun demo. Fuck, you gotta drop me with Top Gun demo. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> we spray painted them in my mum's garage. <laughs> yeah, that was my foray into graph. Jungle Fever demo. Yep. Tiger Head, Crown, very good. Gabe Delane, very underrated graphic he designer. He is fantastic. Well, not even underrated. He's underrates himself. But he's yeah. an amazing graphic designer. Every Sex Wizard... That, the Sex Wizard record I played guitar on. All yep. the dots. Mm-hmm. When Jigsy was like, oh, this is going to be the record cover. Yep. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And he's like, do you get it? And I was like, no. I have no idea what's happening here. And he's like, oh, you can see like individual parts of different things to him. I was like, okay, cool. He's like, yeah, and the record like the band name and the title is going to be printed in clear ink yeah yeah and i was like that's amazing Man, the stuff like, everything that jungle fever ever did that he did the artwork for is so good he's like yeah he's so, i i miss him i don't see him yeah. as much as i'd like to and he's just like he's got such an amazing brain for like dumb shit it's yeah. so good it's fantastic um <clears throat> yeah but um, top gun yeah Thanks, thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Um, I secretly didn't even know you played in that. I just knew that it was like a really small camera thing. There I was. And because Dave video. was in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dave. Yeah. I had two kick drums when I played in Top Gun. Yeah, right. Because I didn't have a double kick pedal. Because I was still making wow. the transition from yeah. death metal. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Do you have anything to advertise? No. Uh, Smith and Deli? Smith and Deli, Smith and Daughters. They're both on Instagram. Mo runs it and she does a really good job yeah. of that. And Big shout out to Mo. Yeah, huge shout out to Mo, always. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to go home and tell her that I that crashed the car. Dinged into, car on yeah, the way, yeah. Um, like just, just a little ding. But yeah, so, hi. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's cool. Um, but no, my Instagram is probably the best thing if you want to see what I am doing, yep. working on. It's been a bit quiet lately because I've just been working on the deli and I haven't been able to post anything of it. But yes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm working on a new website and when I say that, I mean, I've done nothing. <laughs> it'll be there one day. It'll be there one day. But yeah, Callum Preston on Instagram and on Tumblr, both of those have similar but different content of what I'm kind of working on as I go. Things that I can't, I work on a lot of stuff that I can't show right away and that's very frustrating because yes. I forget about it and I'm like, oh yeah. But yeah, so those two and, uh, this podcast and... Yeah. I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do like a YouTube series later in the year, with uh, having bands come and play at my office at the Shack. Oh right! Called the Shack Sessions, and it'll be bands that I do work for coming into play. Cool. 
So I can promote that now, and that means that maybe I'll force myself to actually do it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm having a solo art show in October on uh, yeah. Wednesday, October twenty first, two thousand fifteen, and it's a Back to the Future tribute show. Oh, sick! So it's it's a it's a blurred line of uh, prop and set design and fan fiction mashed into one, along with uh, Sweeted if you call it Be Kind Rewind are you familiar with yes, Jack Black yeah. so basically I'm building other props for Back to the Future that I envisage that so sounds amazing other prototype hoverboards yeah there's all kinds of stuff but it's gonna be it's gonna be very uh, I'm dedicating a lot of time to it once this is done so October 21st which is the date Marty goes to the future it's on a Wednesday it'll be in Melbourne fuck yeah on that yeah alright Sweet. Thank you. Thanks, Callum. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. Listen to I Exist. I'm Aaron. Peace.